This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. The sixth novel in the James Reese series is coming this spring, 2023. It's titled Only the Dead and is available for pre-order now. My guests today, guests, plural, Daniel Winkler and Kevin Holland. Daniel Winkler is the knife maker behind the Winkler tomahawk that is featured in the Terminal List series and did all the blades for the movie Last of the Mohicans. Amazing guy. Kevin Holland served at the highest levels of special operations, both in the Navy and in the Army, had a stint in between as a game warden in North Carolina. Once again, an incredible guy, and I am honored to call both of these men friends. And now, without further ado, here's Daniel Winkler and Kevin Holland. Awesome. Here we are. Yeah. Daniel Winkler, Kevin Holland. Man, this Check is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Here we are. Thank you guys for doing this. Yeah, we're just going to hang out here for an hour or so and, and, uh, and talk a little bit and kind of talk about how three of us got to, to be here in this room together in 2022. I mean, well, we're, we're, I'm glad that you're here. This has uh, been a real, a real pleasure to have you visit. Oh, it's been so, so much fun. And we're looking on, I was looking in the back and old text messages on the car on the drive over here. And it was uh, 2017, the last time that I was physically really? here. So okay. before the uh, before the book came out, and, uh, wow. and a lot's uh, yeah, a lot's changed. We've I think it was uh, maybe one or two shot shows since then that we got to say hello. Probably Those so. Are so busy. Yeah, yeah. The uh, we didn't go 2020. There, there. No, we did go 2020. And I, that was the last time. So that's the last time I think I saw you. Yeah, I believe um, so. But it's always that's always crazy. Busy, you know, those are like a reunion. But uh, yeah. but for you, you have to actually be in the booth and, and do the thing. And There's a lot of work for us. A lot of work, yeah, 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 yeah crazy. But uh, let's let's start with uh, how this all came about. So uh, from you to you, and then to me, and how we all all got here. But uh, the knife making bug mm-hmm. is that when did that start early on, or how did you how did that yeah, I, I really, I started making knives when I was in high school. In high school. And uh, made them as shop projects okay. in school. And uh, can't do that so much anymore, but <laughs> oh, back yeah. then you could. And uh, a- after I got out of school and went to college, I still, I, I really enjoyed doing it. And I, I was shooting like black powder weapons and yeah. wanted uh, authentic equipment to go along with it. And just continued researching and gathering equipment and making my own equipment knives and tomahawks and powder horns and shooting pouches and uh, traveling to these reenactments and people would comment on it you know they at these these reenactments they have are used to have these things called blanket shoots where your fee to enter an entry fee was a prize and you put on a blanket and then everybody shot and whoever won got to pick what they wanted first and whoever came in last got to you know, get the can of green beans or something. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, there was no regulations on what you had to put as a blanket prize. So it was a, a lot of different things. And so I would make like a patch knife or something, put on the blanket and got to where it would get picked up first. And then people would come and say, hey, how much would you charge to make me one of those? And so that's kind of how my knife making career started was, was making stuff for myself and then realizing that other people were interested. And 
then it kind of grew from there and I learned about the true custom knife industry and uh, went full-time as a knife maker in 1988 and, and have not done anything for income since other than making knives or, or you know, now with the manufacturing facility. Okay, so in, uh, in high school, was there was the shop class teacher, was he a knife, a knife maker? Did he know something about it or did you just do yeah. that in? Well, uh, he didn't know a whole lot about making knives, but he was a craftsman and he taught industrial arts. And so, you know, I learned, we did pottery and leather work yeah. and a little bit of metal work. And, and then uh, I took it beyond that, which he gained interest in. And, and we became good friends after I got out of high school. Yeah. Even before, I would take my bow to school with me. And then we would go hunting after school no with way. my teacher. And uh, That doesn't happen much anymore, I'm thinking. Yeah. It circled around enough that now his son works here at Winkler Knives. He's one of our, our handlers, one of our craftsmen. What? Yeah, so it's... That uh, is wild. Yeah. No so, way. So Do you still have that first knife that you made by any chance? Uh, what it was? Do you remember? My brother has the first knife that I made, and I've got some cool? of the early ones. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was. It was a patch knife, a double-edged patch knife. And, uh, and I gave it to my brother. And I imagine he still has it. I haven't asked <laughs> to see it in a while, but yeah. uh, so that you better one check. still there. You better check, make sure you didn't go up on eBay or one of these forums. Yeah. Uh, what, did, what did you make it out of, that first one? I, I found, there was a catalog that sold a lot of peculiar stuff, kind of uh, army surplus stuff and all. I found this uh, blank for a, a old sword blade that had never been ground. It had the fuller in it, but it still had squared edges and it was, you know, had a, it didn't have a point or any edge where, where some factory I imagine had made this sword. And when I saw it, I thought, well, gee, there's a start. That's probably some kind of steel you can make a knife out of. Okay. And so I, my, my actual, you know, I used that in shop class and filed it down. We didn't have the grinders in, so it was all done by hand. Okay and uh, shaped it to a dagger shape, put a bone handle on it, made a patch knife for a shooting pouch that I made in another segment of the class. Jeez. Well, that's all. And then you grew up not too far from here. Yeah, about and, 30 miles, I guess. Okay, yeah. 30 miles away. And did you grow up hunting, fishing? I did. All yeah, that trapping, right here. hunting, fishing. And did you, were you drawn towards knives and, and weapons at an early age? Yeah, well, I was always was old timers and you know we had no custom stuff you know but uh, uh uncle henry's yeah, old timer old timer, yeah. yeah it's what i used so yeah and were you shooting and hunting at the set yeah yeah i mean i would uh my uncle was who i hunted with okay. and uh it'd just be with uh 30 30 lever action that's what i killed okay. my first deer with nice. and uh and then I forget. Somehow I got a hold of a like an old Spanish muzzle loader from somewhere at a pawn shop or something when I was in high school, and I started shooting the muzzle loader. So that's how I grew up. Yeah, I think a thirty thirty has probably been you. It'd be a debate um, whether a thirty thirty or a thirty out six has been used to take more deer in the United States. Uh, around here, I bet. Around here, thirty thirty, you think. Yeah. The yeah. thirty thirty was great because I used one of those too really early when I'd be hunting because we have such thick brush mm -hmm. and uh, you know like a double canopy with a rhododendrons in the hardwoods and and it's just maneuverable and handles well in in most of our environments around here. Yep. Yeah, I saw my dad's old pre sixty four thirty thirty that he got in a pawn shop and I think when he was like eleven or something like that and you could just do that back then in, in California of all places yeah. and just walked out with a lever action thirty thirty and still yeah. have it to this day. And, Used it a, like two years ago on a on a hunt, so 
that was uh that was pretty cool something about that that rifle yeah uh i mean i want to go and track another one down just so i don't you know i don't know mess this one up you know use it a couple times put it in the safe and then grab another one to i don't know keep in the truck or something like that there's just something about a yeah. lever action 3030 that's pretty cool right. but especially the 364s obviously you know yeah got to get those but uh um and did you have did you have military history in your family uh well so my grandfather was in the spanish-american war wow. he was pretty old okay. <laughs> yeah and then uh i had uncles that were in the army and the uh, uh, air force yeah so not really like close okay. you know uh military more distant and yeah like i have, have an uncle that i think was in i that think he was in that or that yeah yeah so yeah but they did serve yeah so my, my dad was the youngest of four brothers and so they didn't uh, during Vietnam, okay. and so the others were serving, and so they didn't take him because of the whole got it. You know, Saving Private Ryan kind of thing. You know, all the brothers uh -huh. got killed. So yeah, got it. And then, what did you find out about seals? Ooh, uh, so I think uh, I saw like a parade magazine back in the day. I don't know if you remember what, remember what that was. <laughs> it was in the newspaper. It's in Sunday the newspaper morning, yeah. on Sunday mornings, and mm -hmm. so on the front of the cover, it had these guys all covered in mud, and yeah. you know, and, and I'd always grew up. I wanted, uh, you know, uh, you know, John Wayne, and, and watched the Green Berets yeah. and all that. I wanted to be a Green Beret and read First Blood, of course, uh, of course, and and that was Tennessee. Is where it actually happened in the Kentucky, book, or Kentucky, Kentucky or something, you know. Yeah. And he had a thirty thirty, and and so it was just that's what I grew up with, and so his background was Green Beret, you know. So that's what I wanted to be, yep. and so ended up, uh, you know, that's that was my plan, you know, kind of growing up, you know, I was, you know, I was, and then I saw that picture of those guys, you know, they're all like, oh, it's a whole buds class, yeah. and all covered in mud, and they're just, and I was just like, holy smokes. So I read that article, and that's the first introduction to them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you saw that in your high school, and then I was in high. Uh, yeah, probably like early high school, okay. probably eighty five, eighty six. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So early on, I remember Gung Ho magazine and uh, Poor Soldier of Fortune. I'm trying to think the other Seal influences other than uh, you know mentions in a couple books here and there. The Frogman movie, of course, black and white from the fifties. Well, Brotherhood of the Rose. Uh, Brotherhood of the Rose. Has yeah, I read mentioned. that. I was like, mention. Ooh. Talks about the pyramid. Oh, the pyramid. Who's at the top of the pyramid. The you remember? Pyramid. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Once again, David Morrell, who yeah. uh, wrote First Blood, created Rambo back in 1972, and yeah. it's never been out of print since. Actually had its uh, 50th anniversary this last May. Okay. Of, uh, yeah, from its date of publication. And then, of course, Stallone in 83 with the movie, and brings a whole new audience to the, to the books. And introduces the the blade to, to everybody and <laughs> yeah yeah we uh <clears throat> so when you read that book you're you're you know you don't there's still back then there was nothing about you had got we had encyclopedias and so I remember going to the encyclopedias and looking all UDT, that stuff up. and i mean it was udt and you look it up and it's just like tales about yeah. them you know and it's just like you're like okay you know and then so once i started talking to a recruiter uh -huh. i was uh uh spoke to a marine recruiter yeah, and I and I was you know I was like well I'll talk to them all you know and the army recruiter really wasn't you know he he's just like here's a video watch this video you know Rangers uh, or whatever okay. you know and I really wasn't too impressed you know, with him yeah. you know I was like so I go to the the marine guy and he's like uh, what are you thinking I said what's what's recon or whatever and he yeah. goes well you know it's it's this and he told told me about it you know and I was like well all right well uh, and I said well I was looking maybe going in the Navy and being a SEAL. And he goes, oh, he goes, we'll never make that. He goes, but I can have you in recon in two weeks once you get in the, and I'm like, 
So I can. Well, I hit you as you'll never make that. Well, it is. (laughs) Not only that, that I can't make it, you know, it was the point of I can get you in recon in two weeks once you get. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be in that outfit if I can get in it in two weeks. (laughs) There you go. Uh (laughs) You know, so uh, that's how that went. I was like, all right, you know. And so I went into the Navy guy, and he's just like, yeah, he goes, you got great ASVAB scores. You, what about a nuke? Well, you want to be a nuke, oh, you know, geez. something like that? And I'm like, mm, what's that? And he goes, yeah. well, it's a submarine. And I'm like, mm-mm. I said, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be a SEAL. Uh-huh. And he had no idea. He goes, well, come back tomorrow, and uh, we'll do a, uh, I'll do some research on it. So yeah. he, he, I come back, and he goes, okay, here's what you got to do. He goes, you go cut you a log about this big around, and you carry that thing wherever you go. When you get home in the evenings from school, you go run with this log and it's that and the other thing. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so you did? Oh, yeah, I still got it. Daniel's got it. I've here. got it. What? It's here. Yeah. Well, it's a sourwood. It's and, going in our, our museum that we're going to open up. And so, uh, but yeah, it's just like, I don't know, probably six foot, you know, it probably weighed, I don't know, 100 pounds or something back pretty then. Heavy. You know, it's, it's pretty heavy. Now it's lighter now, heavy, I'm you know? sure. Jeez. So I'd go up and run with this thing up and down my road, and, you know, a neighbor would come by with a f- tractor and a front end loader and goes, hey, throw that thing in the front of this thing. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm training. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, no, I didn't say that because yeah. nobody knew what that yeah. was. I said, I don't, me and the Marines, you know, whatever, uh, you know, and so they just keep trucking. But that's how, that's my introduction to it. So. No way. And then you yeah. can boot camp and buds and... Some fo- photographers, mate, because they're like, hey, you got to have school when you right. quit SEAL training yeah. that you can, you know, fall back on, you know. Okay. I said, what's the shortest one you got, you know. And, uh-huh. That was smart. I didn't do that. I was like, intelligence specialist, that sounds like me. I'm going to do that. So I did that in that 16 that's six weeks. months. That, yeah, it was a long time at Damn Neck, and then you had to oh. wait, wait till you... I had to mop a lot of floors, waiting for class up, and then afterward, you know, wait for buds. And so, yeah, that was not the the best move, but but I, looking back at it, you know, it was uh, it, it probably was the right thing for for me to do. It was kind of okay. cool, but I think I could have passed it. I could have just taken the test, uh, the final day test, the day that I showed up, just because really? of all the reading that I'd done over the years. Oh, and I could have yeah. picked out the silhouettes of all the different. And we were still studying Cold War stuff because oh, yeah. it was 1996 uh, when I was at uh, Intel school at Damn Neck, and uh, yeah, it was all Cold War stuff still, so I, reading all the Tom Clancy novels really did prepare me yep. for that, and I think I could have just tested right out of it. Oh, you know? but, uh But so, anyway, yeah. So that's at Damn Neck. I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah, Navy and Marine Corps Intelligence Training Center. I have no idea if it's still there or not, but it was the uh, Navy oh. and Marine Corps Intel School. Um, gotcha. uh, a school, anyway. You know, gotcha. And then, and then off to Bud's. But, uh, Are you on the dive fair program? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They had that when, for oh, years? Yeah. Okay. That's what I was on. Yeah, my recruiter didn't know about it either. I went in there armed because it was in the back of one book, and I forget the name of the book right now, but in the back of one of these, maybe it was the Commandos, or there was a few books that had come out in the 90s, and uh, one of them talked about the dive fair program yep. in the end, and I was like, okay, that's what I want to do. It gives me the opportunity to try out at boot camp, and that's all I wanted. That's I just it. want to be guaranteed the opportunity to try Great out. Chance. Exactly. Uh, and so I signed up for that six years. Now looking back, at least when I went through boot camp, everybody got to try out if you wanted to. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they said, hey, who wants to do it? And yeah. Like, Man. So I signed up for two extra years if you make exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they kind of got you with that gotcha. one. But, you know, it sounded cool. That sounded program. Yeah, yeah, at the time. I'm in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. Oh, man. But then uh, you make it through BUDS, and you're getting issued the uh, Mark One Motto Navy Dive Knife. Oh, yeah. There. Yeah. yeah. Sharpening that it. That thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I get issued that thing. And you still have it? 
No, we didn't keep them. Oh. No, they didn't give them to us. Oh, I better not say that I kept mine. Oh, no. Well, me. Ooh, I'd have thought <laughs> oh, about it. Exactly. And I should have. Yeah. yeah. And I kept mine. That's pretty awesome. good at sharpening that thing. I remember the steel's pretty soft on those. Yeah. Well, you, it, it had to be because you had to sharpen every swim, it seemed like. <laughs> yep, you know? every so they try, you had to shave. They oh, yeah. Just, yeah they, I don't know how they had any hair on their arms left uh -huh. you know, after every, you know, they yep. test it, you know, and if it didn't shave, mm, it was not a good day. No, yeah. no, we had the guy with the rock. If it didn't shave, he had the rock, and then he took your knife and he smashed it into the rock and just grind the edge. Yeah, up. Yeah, and so then you had to do some really work on it. Oh yeah, because you could touch it up, you know, yeah. if they didn't do that to it. But otherwise, use up for hours. Yeah, I got pretty good at sharpening. Pretty good at well, sharpening. Well, that's a good skill to have. Mm. A lot of people don't yeah. have that. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was good with the stone. I remember I got the st different stones, the three different kind of stones, I think, and and uh, so kind of learned about that. I haven't really done it as much since, but uh, I got really good at it. In, in buds, yeah, and then uh, and then you get to first seal team, and do you remember your first knife that you got uh, got issued? The Buck Monster. Oh, really? Like the one with the with oh, the grappling yeah. hook thing yeah, on it? Yeah, oh yeah. Man, I gotta that's, find one of those. That's didn't... what they issued us. We were uh, like, do you, remember, do you remember that, Daniel? Did you ever seen that thing? It's the Buck Master. Uh -huh. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. We call it the Buck Monster. Uh -huh. uh, so, but it looked like Rambo's knife. It so did. you're like, wow. It's, oh. you know. But then you're like, yeah, I don't know. It's you know, it was kind of. I don't know who thought that we'd throw that on a building and hook the little thing yeah. and, and climb with a knife up there. Hey, in the 80s when they developed <laughs> that thing, that was it. You know, you'd see, I, so I remember seeing that in uh, the Army Navy surplus store that, our, that I loved going to with my dad as a kid. And it was just thinking there was like some camo netting in there and, and ammo cans, you know, and that sort of a thing. But they had a little knife section. I remember that being back there behind the counter oh, yeah. on the wall. And it was just like, oh, man. And it was probably like $300, which much have been. Yeah. Might have well been $3 million back then. I think it made, I mean, a Buck Knives, I mean, it was a huge deal for them. Yeah. You know, that. I imagine so. Yeah, yeah. I've been out there and saw their, their little uh, place where they got their, and it's it's a main thing in their little museum no thing is the Buckmaster. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's pretty sad. Did those unscrew? Yep. Those, uh, yeah, they, they did. unscrewed, didn't they? They unscrewed. Yeah. Most everybody took them off yeah. because it was like, right, what are you, yeah. you going to do yeah. with that? You know, so. Interesting. Do you still have that one? No. Dang. I know. You were a roof follower. You turned your stuff back in. I guess I did. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's one of those, you know, they want your watch, they want your knife. You know, I kept my Leatherman. I got my there you original go. Leatherman. Okay, got your Leatherman. Nice, yeah. nice. So. Yeah, the original Leatherman that was my dad's back in the 80s, like when they first, yep. uh, like early 80s. Black. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. they're, they're just, no, they're not stainless, they're black. Well, I got a stainless one. I got a stainless one. The, okay. From my dad's, it was like eight, maybe in the late 70s. I forget when Leatherman came on the scene. I forget, but. I don't remember either, but I had to have one too. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, that's yeah. handy. Yep. Yeah. I think when I got there, we had the. Uh, I think it was a. I want to say it was a Glock knife. Is that? Uh, yep. Yeah. We got a Glock knife. Okay. Yeah, as well. That's now that was later. That was later. So I got that in '97. I think we got the the Glock uh, once I got to. Uh, dev group. I think that's okay. when we got the Glocks. Got it. Got rid of the Buck Monster. <laughs> and then we had the Sog also, uh, okay. the big one and the small one. I think they were getting rid of the big one and they were getting the small one mm -hmm. in. Um, but there was a few knives that we had, you know, during that uh, that time, late '90s time frame that were actual issue. But I remember the first one was the was the Glock knife, and then there was that uh, uh, the Sog, the big one, and then that small one, the Seal Pup. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've the seen Seal that. Pup. Yeah. yeah. Which uh, you know, not not bad. You know, oh, pretty, no. yeah, not bad. But well, they're they're not bad. It, I was just it's a little bit surprising to me that that these issue knives to these tier one uh, teams are they're buying imported. Yeah, you know, that's not made in the U.S. I I, I was a little yeah, it's, it's a little shocking to understand. You know, at the 
I guess the, the costing factor has to be taken into consideration when they're outfitting that many people, but it just, uh, that's, that's, that's a little bit shocking that that's yeah. what you were issued. So, I mean, the fine knives, I'm sure. And, and, you know, I've owned buck knives myself before, but, uh, you know, I would have, I would have thought it would have always thought it would have been a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we thought that too, when we showed up, we thought we we're going to get all sorts of crazy, awesome gear and pagers and the, they were going to go off and, you know, at the middle of the night and we'd go save the world and come back in time for, for beers the next day. And that was not how it was in the late, late nineties. Yeah. But, uh, but going back before then, so you go first SEAL team, and yep, it was SEAL Team 8. SEAL Team 8. Mm -hmm. And uh, two deployments there? Yeah, well, no, really. I just did a, uh, we did a MARG deployment in the Desert Storm. Okay. You know, and then we went into that and stayed an extra couple months. And uh, what did you guys end up doing there? So we're northern Iraq. We uh, went in and did reconnaissance and, okay. and, and sniper missions out of uh, helicopters. Oh, nice. Because the uh, Apaches had Kiowas in front of them to find targets, and they had no guns on them back in those days. Yeah. They were just slick. And so they're getting shot at every night as they go out. So they came to our SEAL platoon and asked if, if a couple of us would ride with them, you know, put lasers on and wear nods. And so we had lasers like this big and, uh, and use the pilot's night vision because nobody had night vision yeah. back in those days. We had this big Vietnam look. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, so we'd ride around. If they shot, they shot at us, we'd shoot back. And, no way. Oh, yeah. I did not know that for first Gulf War. Absolutely. Dang. Yeah, yeah, we did a lot of that. And you were off uh, off an amphib or a carrier? Yeah, uh, the Austin L. I don't know if it's an yeah. LPD, whatever it is, yeah, USS yeah. Austin. Right, big gray ship. Big gray ship that uh -huh. we didn't want to be on. Right. We were under the Marines. Yeah, the big good. pipe goes through our berthing. It was like 100 degrees in there every day, and so you just slept on the deck most of the time. You know? No so, kidding. Yeah, anyway, so we went in, though, on 53s. I flew to northern Iraq with the Marines. Oh, dang. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you got a little taste of it then. Yeah, yeah, we got into it. And then, you know, we did reconnaissance and you know, I got kind of uh, hung out a couple times, you know, where, you know, you'd be out, you know, and, and out of water. And you really didn't really, I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. I mm -hmm. mean, it was the truth, you know. Yeah. Nobody done it, you know. And so they, we're in it. And it was just like, okay. And, you know, we had 112s. Uh-huh. The emergency room. Oh, yeah. That was our comms. Oh, my gosh. It's that, a brick. I mean, yeah. We had the one guy back there that had the whatever a radio. Mm -hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't. It wasn't a Prick seventy seven, but, but it was the, the next generation the next of that. Generation. But it wasn't still wasn't much of a jump. Yep. And then and then hey, if you had to go do a, whatever, if a guy went out or two guys went out to check out something, you had that one twelve, and that was it. Dang. Yeah. Because it was a, either that or probably like a Motorola. Maybe it was didn't like have those. Didn't even have those yet. No. No. Dang. No. That's old school. And for people listening, like they're you know, people think seals were always just running off getting. In, doing secret missions all the time, but really we hadn't been in sustained combat operations since Vietnam. Nope. There were flashpoints for special operations of the military in general with uh, Desert One, Grenada, Grenada. Panama, yep. uh, later Mogadishu, but um, uh, but before that. All just were, small, you know, yeah. little things and no extended combat. Nobody yep. done it for years, you know. I, yep. I mean, we had Vietnam guys that were our instructors. Yep. I mean, that's how, you know, when I came through. Yeah. And so that was the last time anybody had really seen any extended combat, you know, it was Vietnam. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. And then until September 11th, really, and then yeah, pretty much you know, we got to got to get after it. But so you do one deployment, you come back, and then screen for development group. Come back, go to sniper school. Okay. Because uh, I was, they're like, hey, you're doing sniper missions. We need to send you to sniper school. Nice. Go to Atterbury, go okay. to sniper school. And then I wish you and your honor graduate. 
was, yeah, nine, you know, and you wouldn't say it, so you know, yeah. I would. Uh, yeah, and then I got to go back uh, this spring and uh, be an instructor. So I was an instructor, and then I headed over to Dev Group after uh, after that. And this so. is where where you meet Daniel. And, yeah, well, uh, I show up. Yeah, and you know, I'm in red, and so uh, they, uh, uh, my master chief's Danny Chalker, and he's like, hey. Uh, you're, you're the supply guy, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, and he goes, and we need you to find us a breaching axe because we're the red men and we need, and we've got crossed uh, hatchets on our pat, or, you know, on our flag or patch for Red Squadron and an Indian, so we need an axe. And so I'm like, makes sense. Okay. So I search and search, and I mean, there's none of that. Because there's no in. internet. You can't just put well, in. No, no, you go to well, the hardware store. You, right. you know, hey, I have somebody to make one of these things, or right. how's this going to work, you know? And, and it's 1992, Last of the Mohicans comes out, yep. and I'm watching Magua kill the British soldier as he's walking down. I'm like, there's what we need. There we go. And yeah. so I wait till the end of the movie, and I watch the credits, and I see where Daniel Winkler is the guy, and he's from Blowing Rock, North Carolina. And I'm like, well, shoot, I'm from Wilkes County right here at, you know, a hometown next door. Next door. Uh -huh. So I have to wait to come home on a, a weekend or leave yeah. or something. I go get a phone book for Watauga, look it up, and he's not in Watauga. He's in the, actually Caldwell, right below the county yeah. line. And I finally, I was like, well, maybe he's in Caldwell. Because I, I, I saw where it says he's a uh, uh, globe or something. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I pulled up a Caldwell County, found him in the phone book, called him up. And said, hey, uh, is this Daniel Winkler, the knife maker? And he said, yeah. You know, and I uh, said, I'd kind of like to talk to you about making me an axe. And that's how it started. It's, is this one right here? That's it. Right kind of drew up a little picture on something, and we I mailed it to him, and and he refined it. He goes, well, I got this axe that has a you know already kind of a full tank for a camp axe, and I he refined it, and that's what it come out of. This is a special axe right here, and it, we talked one. about it last night. And this thing's got some something about it. Well, after after he called, I got off the phone. I was talking to Karen. She said, "Who's that? You getting worse?" I said, "Yeah, I kind of think it's got city. It was a Navy SEAL." <laughs> What's that? <laughs> yeah. Did you know what Navy SEALs were at the time? Well, I had a little bit of an idea about it. Yeah. I'd heard about them, but uh, you know, I'd, I've been spending my time and my career making you know historic period design stuff right. and and uh so he, he called it the right time because i had been making a little uh, replica of a fort miggs hatchet the real small easy to carry you know it was an authentic frontiersman style but had a really really thin handle and uh, the handle went through the eye like a traditional hatchet okay. So, you know, if you chopped anything bigger than a pencil the handle would break okay and so uh I got to make that to where it'll hold up because I like the size, and so I, I came up with this way to do a, a full tang with it, yeah. and then double pin in the handle, and and so I thought, well, yeah, that's kind of what you were talking about because you need it for breaching, and then you needed some combat capabilities. I thought, let's go that and see how it works. So it it, it worked out pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same handle he put on it 30 years ago. It's amazing. Yeah. Every so. single nick here, scratch here tells. A story, and uh, you know, if this thing could talk, you know, I mean, incredible. But uh, before you made that that call, obviously, last of the Mohicans gets made. How did they reach out to you or find you 
for that film? Did they talk to a bunch of different knife makers, kind of like do, do interviews, or did they just see something of yours somewhere? How did that come about? It, it's just one of those life stories that happens. They, uh, I was traveling to the Black Powder Rendezvous, and they had the, uh, the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association had their Southeastern Rendezvous that year in Boone. Okay. And so that, that's right where I live. And so, of course, I was going to go to that one. I mean, it's in my backyard. They have to drive 10 hours to get to one. And so while we were there, th there was a casting tent set up. And I learned they were doing a remake of this movie, Last of the Mohicans. And, uh, and I thought, well, that's, that's, that's pretty good because they were, they were looking at people and their outfits and they were basically there to look for extras, you know, hmm. background people to, okay. to do it. And so uh, Karen and I happened to have a, uh, a, a, a craft show that was being held at the Biltmore Estate like the next weekend or something after that. So we thought, well, we've got a, a case full of knives in a period, time period, that this movie's going to be on. I wonder if they'd be interested. No and way. So, so we, we went to, to Asheville and, uh, and found where the production offices were and, and went to them and told them what we were doing. And they said, well, let's get you in touch with the props master. So they called him and he said, yeah, give them our address because the, the props part was set up in, a, in an old cook, an old, uh, it's like a Lance Cracker warehouse or something. Oh. It was, you know, they had a lot of space, but it was something that wasn't being used. So they gave us an address and he said, yeah, this guy's name, the props master, was Ron Downing. He was a British fellow. And, uh, and he said, I'm, I'm glad you're here because I've got a meeting with director Michael Mann this evening, and I'm supposed to show him some new knives and hatchets that I had found. I hadn't found anything. He said, could you be here for a meeting this evening? He was in the same boat I was. Couldn't yeah. find nothing nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so I said, yeah, yeah, we can do that. So we set, showed up, we showed him our stuff, and, and so from the beginning, we worked with Props Master and Director Michael Mann, and he would give us, uh, he, he said, yeah, I like this, yeah, I like this blade and all, and then he would show me pictures of some uh, items that were in museums, like there was a knife, I think, that he had taken a picture of that was at one, Fort Niagara, maybe. That ended up being the blade shape for Hawkeye's knife. Mm -hmm. And then they actually sent me an original tomahawk to copy from Magua that was from another museum at another fort. And it was much smaller, but they wanted it enlarged, 24-inch yeah. handle for stage presence. So every, every, we went to production meetings every week for about six or eight weeks prior to the start of filming. And uh, the director and the props master would tell us what they wanted to see at the next meeting. So Karen and I'd go home and... We'd make it, I'd make it, and she, you know, she'd make sheaths for it and stuff. Most of the sheaths they ended up using, though, were made by sheath makers with uh, quill work or, you know, something something different. But uh, so we'd take our stuff and show it to it, and they always liked them, and they wanted it. And and, and we, uh, we worked out a deal where they would pay for them, but it reduced prices because, you know, these film people yeah, always looking to save people. a buck. But anyway, we thought, hey, I'll get some publicity out of this, maybe. And, <laughs> maybe. and so we, we did that. And so finally everything came together at the end when they were starting to film. And so we had to make three of each item that was approved for the principal characters. Mm -hmm. So I had to make three as identical as I could. And I'm hand forging these things. And, you know, mm -hmm. I can't make a hammer blow land the same place every time. But got them pretty close. Yeah. 
And uh, so they had to have one for the character to use on a daily basis. Yeah. They had one that they sent to special effects and they made, you know, rubber models yep. and, and, and lightweight for action sequences where they didn't want people getting hurt. And then they wanted a spare because if Daniel Day-Lewis is hanging off the side of that canoe in Lake James and he dropped his knife to the bottom of the lake, well, they're out of business for a week until I can make another one. Wow. So, uh, so they had a spare. And uh, I, I tried to get them back, so I thought, yeah. you know, never worked on a movie before, but this stuff might be valuable once people see it. And... I couldn't get anything back, but uh, they used them at the end of production as they, they gave them as gifts to people that were part of the, the production, the assistant director, the actor himself, or some producer, wow. you know, they, they would give them gifts and that's the kind of thing they did. So they, I don't know where they are now, but I never got them back. Interesting. But it worked out pretty well because as soon as that movie came out, it was a big boost to, to a custom knife maker's career and, and Karen and I, really benefited from our association with that and uh and you know it just it just it worked out good and then the best part about that was hooking up with kevin Seriously. because that actually was the turning point in, in where we've ended up and as far as the custom knife industry and all that was we we were very successful with that we we had a good customer base and we would sell out at the shows that we went to and and had like a two-year waiting list on custom products and so you know we were doing okay but there's just so much uh, two individuals can do right but uh it gave us the opportunity now to to expand and 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 build on it and develop our our, our quality and our performance and yeah. And so it, it's been great. So that start with the Mohicans was a pretty, pretty yeah. big step for us. Well, I mean, it's it's such an iconic film, and then you have Blade Magazine that you're right yeah. there, featured front and center. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, everybody, you know, loves that uh, that movie. I mean, it's just a, it, people remember remember where they were when they saw it, and and you got to do that work for it, which is incredible. And were you on set for that for for a lot of it? Yeah, we got to go on location for for a good bit of the. It was filming. right around here somewhere. They filmed most of it within an hour drive up here I think the <laughs> wow. furthest drive I did was the Lake James where the uh, fort scene was mm -hmm. but uh, yeah it was all filmed in, in this area and some just not far from here at all yeah. up on the Blue Ridge Parkway at Linville Falls where that's the, the outside shots of the big waterfall yeah. that they had was at Linville Falls not far from where we're sitting and then the uh, the inside cave scene where they go inside the cave and waterfall out, that was actually a set inside of a Nabisco cookie warehouse in, <laughs> in Asheville. Okay. And they built this massive tank and this big rock waterfall and they had these massive pumps pumping water over oh, it. Yeah. I mean, it looked, it looked great. Yeah. Uh, and they would have divers in the <laughs> catch tank because if one of these actors slipped and fell down, they had to have somebody down there to save them because there's I don't know how many thousands of gallons of water yeah. were pumping over this thing, but it was pretty interesting watching how these movies came together. Yeah. Now, when he jumped through the waterfall, was there a big like pool? There's a pool under, yeah. And they were in the divers in that. There were divers in that just to make Boy. sure that it, that nobody got hurt when they did it. Mm. And uh, yeah, it was kind of it was an interesting thing to to to, to see how it worked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You need and, if somebody came forward and with those knives. Yeah. Maybe somebody will hey. hear, hear this and and uh, and yeah. reach out. Yeah. So they're out I'd there love, somewhere. I'd love to. Love to have them to yeah. display for everybody to see. But, That's uh, right, because pretty soon you're about to have your museum open down here right? a little yeah. uh, in the fall, maybe, depending on construction. That's what, that's what that. we're hoping for, yeah. I'm looking People for that. People will come here and, 
you know, check out all the all the knives and mm -hmm. see a little bit of the museum and the history and get a get a T-shirt or a mug and you know right. that sort of a thing. So that'll be great when that's uh when that's done. That'll that, be really cool. It, it will. We're looking forward to it. it it's it's it would be great for us to have a place where we can invite customers to right. see because here our manufacturing facility there are regulations with insurance and osha regulations yeah, and and, and just nice. doing regular <laughs> shop tours we would have to you know set up like they do at like it not on this scale but like boeing at uh, where they build the big airplanes in okay. in seattle and they have the walkways that people yeah. walk on and so they can observe them you know we we don't really have the opportunity to yeah. set up something like that right. but if we can set up a, a destination for people to come to which we're working on that they not only get to to see our progression throughout history from right. the hand forwards and last the mohicans and the right. early models of the hatchets that we make to what we're doing now and then have the opportunity if they're interested to purchase something right. or a, a hat or a t-shirt or even yeah. a knife or a hatchet there yep. that it'll it'll be a good thing for for customer relations yeah. and oh yeah they give back a little bit oh yeah it'll be good to have a store storefront where people can go because there's yeah. so much so much interest in all the, everything that you do right. um so you got this you brought it back to your squadron, mm -hmm. and uh, you showed it to Denny Chocker. Oh yeah, and uh, he was my master chief at Buds, um, which, which was <laughs> which was fantastic. But uh, what did he say when he saw this thing? He loved it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everybody holds the things like, oh, this thing is great. I know, I can't let go of it. It's perfect, you know. And I know. he goes, that's that's exactly what we're looking for. And I'm like, good. And he goes, well, how much is it? You know. And I gave him the price, and he's like, what? You know, and it wasn't a bad price, you know, no. for what you got. Especially you know, for that was, for that command. Uh, uh, I guess at the time, even uh, even it, then. Yeah, it was back in the nineties. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and they're you know kind of cheap, you know. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they they weren't willing to pay the you know the price, which was a couple you know three hundred bucks yeah. or you know, and so it was like, all right, well. This is going in my kit. You know? <laughs> nice, yeah. Yeah, and so, then you carry it the rest of the time yeah, that you're at that command? I, I mean, I dove with that thing, and I mean, I had it, you know. I love that you dove with this. All uh, the time. And then just, just came back, got out of the water. Spray it off yeah. and just hold it down. Mm -hmm. That was it. You know, so that's the walnut handle. And, you know, because I have had people go, well, I don't know if that walnut will hold up. Right. You know, like people. Uh, 30 years. I'm like, well, 30 years. <laughs> how much longer I need it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, that's amazing. And then, uh, so you're carrying it during the rest of your time there, which is mostly mostly training because it's well, we did uh, 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 uphold democracy. We did the Haiti thing, okay. and you know, went in and did uh, the PSD for General Shelton and the okay. Joint Chiefs of Staff, and and it was it was mainly training, you know, uh, at Dev Group from you know the time I was there, and then I ended up separating, uh, yeah. getting out of the Navy. Uh, why did you decide? Why did you decide to get out? We weren't doing what we were supposed to be. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I went you. in to, yeah. hey, we're going to be going and doing what you said, yeah. pagers, and yeah. you roll and you go somewhere and you do what you do, you know, as, as a SEAL, you know, and we were just, you know, I mean, it was fun. I mean, we were skydiving and, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you, you know, uh, we were ready, yeah. you know, to go do whatever it was that we were tasked to do. I mean, yeah. we, you know, we did a 35,000-foot, world record jump combat equipment you know i mean just yeah that's what we were doing and then so but really that was we weren't going to war and right. so i ended up like okay i got out and uh uh became a wildlife officer in north you carolina know that's what you're gonna do when you got out no i actually got out my dad had a business and 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 uh, kind of went into uh, business with him he, he would uh, had a hosiery mill and they would uh, dye and bleach socks for like kmart mm. and, and walmart and stuff okay. like that and so 
I found out pretty quick that's not what I'm made to do. Mm. And so I, I, I started looking around and I found uh, being a wildlife officer. And I read an article or something yeah. on a plane. And, and when I, back when I was a SEAL, and I said, well, that looks pretty neat, you know. And then so fast forward a year or so after I'd got out, I applied and, and got picked up to be a wildlife officer. Right around here. In North Carolina. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of interesting because one of the North Carolina wildlife officers from this area was here two or three weeks ago, and he had been one of the guys that had started with and training you as one of the guys no that way. you went to that, that worked with you, one of the older officers. Randy Thomas or somebody? Or? I could be. I can't yeah. I can't remember. But, yeah, he said, no, no, I, was, I worked with Kevin. You know, when he became an officer, I was one of the, the guys that helped him and worked him through. And, and I guess you, you had to have somebody to show you around. And, and Well, we had instructors. Uh, I mean, you know, we, yeah. we went through. So this. like an academy type thing? Yeah, it's an academy. It's okay. like. 16, 20 weeks or something. Okay. It's a, it's yeah, but he had he had worked with you back while you were a wildlife officer. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, it was a it was a great job. Yeah, loved it because I mean, back then you could be a game warden and you were by yourself out there, right? You were by yourself a whole lot, but you'd have partners sometimes. You work night deer hunting, you know. You're just looking for turkey bait. I mean, it was just a you know a great job for a you know an ex seal. Yeah, mean, this, you're doing it, you know, and you're I mean you're running down armed people and. You know, uh, I loved it. Yeah, Absolutely. were you carrying this? No, you? Well, not on my kit. They wouldn't let you carry it. You know? <laughs> but I had it in the door of my car. Okay. So I always had it with me. You know, it was just, you know, in the door of my car, you know. And so, you know, you didn't get to use it much as a wildlife officer. Yeah. But it was used for more, you know, if you needed to cut something down or whatever. Right. You know, build a, a blind for laying yeah. on bear bait. Yeah. Because so we would wait at bear bait, you know, on people to come in. Because uh -huh. I trained up near Asheville. That's where we uh, uh, I went through training in Henderson County, North Carolina. And so we would get dropped out, and you'd stay all night on land on watching bear bait for yeah. guys to come in to release dogs on the bear bait. No and so yeah, I'd use it for building blinds or whatever, you know, back in those days. No way. So when you emerged from uh, from the tree line or wherever you were hired, did you have like a ghillie suit on or you just kind of make Yeah, we would have or... leafy suits. We would have, uh, you know, and we'd have a little night vision, you know. Yeah, yeah. Back at the, you know, they had them. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, we would, uh, it was serious business, you know. I mean, and they're still, I mean, there's got, you know, they're clean down on them doing a whole lot of stuff nowadays uh, they want them to be more park ranger-ish uh, but uh, they're still you know the great guys and uh, they get to do some cool stuff what would people was there ever a typical response when you'd come out you don't know what they're gonna do you're coming up on armed people they're doing something illegal maybe you're by yourself maybe you're with a partner well, but uh, what's that like sometimes sometimes it was I mean we in Wilkes County right down the mountain here a guy was in my class came up on a guy who was on turkey bait and he had to, the guy pulled the shotgun up to kill him and he had to kill the guy so I mean you know it was it was you know you never knew like you work be working night deer hunting and uh, God had be spotlight and you come up on them with your lights out in the behind them and then when you flick the blue lights on I have I had guys jump out with AK forty sevens to take off running. Dang. You know, so you 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 know I'd chase them down. Because I mean, <laughs> you're you. Yeah, you yeah. Know? That's... But, you know, uh, it's not the best. <laughs> when someone's policy. coming after you with the hawk, you know, like, whoa, this is serious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it make me run faster. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's why what did uh, what did you what were you carrying blade wise back then? Uh, well, we just you could just carry a pocket knife. Yeah, you couldn't carry a, a fixed blade on your, you know. It was pretty. I don't know. They they had you carry what what they wanted you to carry. You okay. know, it was you know uh, we carry pocket knives. And, okay. And so pistol. What did you carry for a pistol? We had a uh, Beretta forty cal. Really? Yeah, that's what we carried. No yeah. kidding. Yep. Yeah. I, I actually have not mine, but I have one from that era that a buddy of mine. They let them buy them. They okay. wasn't letting. They didn't let me buy mine when I left. Uh -huh. 
but uh, a friend of mine had had uh, bought uh, Dennis Thomas's up here in Watauga County. Had mm -hmm. bought his and he gave it to me. Oh, uh, so I have one. They're a good shooting gun. I mean, okay. you know, I like them. And did you have a, like a Remington 870 your monster yep. 500? Yeah, Remington 870 in the old trunk, and we'd, nice. we'd qualify with it. And yeah. There you go. So, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a great job. Yeah. And then you did that up until September 11th? Yeah, I, I was a wildlife officer when I went to selection. So, uh, yeah, so September 11th happens. Uh, yeah, Where are you? Where are you on September 11th? So I was uh, uh, driving to Indiana with my uh, family. Uh, my wife was from Indiana at the time, and uh, going through the Cumberland Gap, you know, uh, in Tennessee, Kentucky, right yep. there. And uh, <clears throat> came on NPR because we were listening to the news or something, and it said, hey, a, a plane has hit, you know, one of the towers, you know, and, and, it, and it described it. And it described a gaping hole of black smoke and... And I'm and and I thought maybe they're talking about like a Cessna or something. Right. You know, somebody else flew it in. You know, but I'm like, so I look over at my wife and I said, a terrorist just flew a plane into that, and she's like, no, you know. And then the second one hit, you know, and it was like, she goes, you're not going back in. First thing, you know, and I'm like, Whew, you know. And so her dad had had an aneurysm, and so uh, uh, we were going to visit him in the hospital, but I had to get back because I was teaching a survival course. I'd, I was teaching, I'd teach SEALs and I'd teach civilians and whatever in my off time from being a game warden. You know, they bring them in and teach them how to build shelters and fire and everything, you know, because I went to Tom Brown's back Did you go to Tom Brown's, in the teams? Oh yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, and they would, and so nobody really wanted to do it but me. So I, I wanted would, to do that when yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. I had all the books growing oh, up. Yeah, I went to thing. them, yeah. So uh, I'd go to Tom Brown's courses and I'd come back and I'd teach them how what okay. we did, you know, and that that, that was better because they ain't having to sleep in that debris hut. Debris hut, I remember oh, the debris yeah, hut, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so I was teaching that, you know, in my spare time, you know, making extra money doing that. Well, I had a course going on with uh, like a lot of the editors from all the newspapers across North Carolina. Yeah. And so they were all there, so I couldn't just, you know, so I was having to teach this course, but all I'm thinking about doing is getting back. Yeah. Get back in the military. So, did you, what did you do? Did you call call the Navy? I did. Yeah, I called a buddy of mine. It was uh, uh, he uh, was in the Battle of the Black Sea, Black Hawk Down. You know, and I mean, you know, he and and, and it just happened to be him is who I called because you know we're buddies and and he and he come down and went to one of my survival courses not too long ago. Okay. Yeah, and he's like, okay, yeah, I'll. I'll bring it up to the master chief, you know, and, and so he went and talked to the master chief. And, uh, at your former command? At, at Dev, yeah. yep, Dev Group. And he said, uh, well, yeah, he goes, but he'll, he'll need to go back. And this is, I guess, by the book. You've you got to go back to a white side team, yeah. uh, you know, regular team, and then do a couple deployments, and then you can come back here. And so I was like, I mean, I was good with it. Yeah. I was like, hey, well, I mean, at least he's saying I can come back. Yeah. And, but my buddy's like, man, he goes, I, I'd go try out for cag yeah. you know and i'm like what's that you know mm -hmm. and he, you know it's the army unit our counterpart down at fort bragg you know and because uh, he was with them in black hawk down he goes no he goes that's an incredible unit he goes and they're 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 there already and i'm like Roger that. Hmm, all right so how do you do that <laughs> And he goes, well, he goes, that's, that's like a little compass course you got to go through. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, you're good at that kind of stuff. You know? He goes, you, you'll be fine. You know, I'm like, a compass course to get into this outfit? And he's like, oh, yeah. He goes, that's what they told me. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, how do I? He goes, well, I got, let me, he found the recruiter's number, and I called the recruiter down there, and that's kind of how, that's how it went. 
No kidding. And well, he goes, if you don't make it, you just come back here. Nice. <laughs> and so you just went right to selection. Yeah. Well, I, well, I mean, it was boot camp or anything. No, no. I just I, I was a game warden, so I basically. Uh, uh, Kyle Lamb was sitting in the office when I called down there no with the recruiter. Kyle sitting there, and, okay. and, and and the guy's like, he goes, "Well, what unit are you in?" You know, and I'm like, "Well, I'm, I'm not in a unit. <laughs> I'm a game warden here in North Carolina." And he's like, "Well, so you got to be a, in the military." You know? <laughs> so, so I'm like, uh, "Okay." So I hung up and I, and I drove to town, and there's a National Guard unit that, in okay. my hometown. You know, yeah. And they're an engineering battalion or whatever. And I'm, I mean, like, I think it's the next day. Yeah. And I'm in uniform. I'm a game warden, you know. And I, I stopped by there and I'm like, hey, I said, uh, I'd like to join up. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll do my part, you know. And, and they're like, okay, uh, we've, we've got this new thing. It's a, you, you can sign up for a year and blah, blah, blah. And I said, sign me up. You know, so they signed me up. You know, I did all the paperwork, or whatever, and, and I had to go to I had to take the ASVAB again because uh -huh. it'd been over three years. And so they're like, "We'll, we'll schedule you for a ASVAB test." And down in uh, Charlotte, I think I had to go to or Salisbury, and yeah. and, uh, and so uh, I, I I come back home, call the guy back. I'm like, "I'm in the military now." He's like, "Really?" And I'm like, <laughs> he goes, "I said, yep, I just joined the National Guard for a year." And he's like, okay. And Kyle's there too. And so he hangs up the phone. He tells Kyle, he goes, that guy called back. Because he, well, he had told Kyle, he goes, do you know, do you know Kevin Holland? And, and Kyle's like, uh. Because it was so small back yeah. then. We would go down to Fort Bragg and do a Capex exercise where you, you're, we're sitting in our boat, our hard yeah. boat, and you hook a tower and climb. Okay. And so we had interaction with yeah. those guys, you know. And Kyle's, he's like, I don't really know him. I've heard his name, you know, because of my buddy that worked with him in, uh, okay. yeah, in Black Hawk Down. And so, and the guy goes, hey, that guy called back, and now he's in the military. He's in the National Guard. <laughs> and they're laughing. They're like, ooh. <laughs> and uh, Kyle's telling me this story a couple uh -huh. times, you know, and he goes, uh, all right. He goes, because he put me on hold, and he's telling Kyle this. You know? So he, uh, now he gets back on there, and he goes, well, you're going to have to come down here and do a PT test, you know, just let's just see what you got. You know? yeah. So I'm like, all right, when do I come down there? You know, and he goes, well, you need, told me what I needed, shoes, shorts, T-shirt, whatever. So I drive down there, a little Ford Ranger pickup to Fort Bragg and uh, meet the guy, uh, you know, Riley Road. There's a, a, a place where there was a shooting that had, had happened in the 90s. Uh, I don't know, back probably like 96 or something where a guy had shot a bunch of people in this parade ground, yeah. And that's where I did my PT test. And so anyway, so do the push-ups, sit-ups, run. Did really good. And, uh, and he's like, well, all right, well, uh, all right, fill this out. You know, so I fill out this big, long thing, you know, as an application, basically, you know, to get there. And then he goes, we need a resume. And I, didn't, I don't have a resume, you know. And so I get home, and I'm, I'm like, man, I think I, I, I did. I got a typewriter and typed out a resume oh, on, on an old-school typewriter. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah, and, and fill this thing out. And just I, I don't know how to write a resume. I just, you know, listed stuff, you uh -huh. know, and whatever. And I, and I wasn't but an E5 when I got out of the Navy, so it wasn't like I had any, like, you know. Oh but anyway, so I did that, sent my stuff in. They went through it, and uh, they called me back probably a couple weeks, and they're like, hey, uh, we're going to send you to selection in March. Wow. And this is October. This is right after 9-11. Mm -hmm. Took a couple weeks, probably into November, uh, October. That's when they told me. And so 
I did a few weekends with the National Guard and then left in March for selection. Right. Yeah. You never looked back. Now, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I was I, I had to take leave from being a game warden. Uh huh. I was like, hey, I got to take leave, you know. And they're like, for what? I got some training with the National Guard, you know, and it's a month long. And so I was on leave from being a wildlife officer to go to selection. I had my like game warden boots and I mean, you know, cotton BDUs. No oh yeah, yeah. It was not a. I wasn't high speed when I went to that. And, they, and everybody was like, you know, either, you ain't got. I don't know, no patches. I'm no, I'm not a ranger. I'm nothing. You <laughs> like, know, what just, are you? What are you, dude? That's, Engineer patch. Hey, you know? there you go. <laughs> Engineer patch on my arm. That's amazing. Oh yeah. And then. <laughs> so you, so you make it through, and then you go go to your squadron. Yeah. But what what did the, the game wardens ever call back? <laughs> like, well, I come back from it, and I'm like, hey, I said, uh, and I looked up, I'd looked up in the old uh, uh, handbook, wildlife officer handbook, uh -huh. and it says, in a time of war, if you volunteer for military service, we'll hold your job. No you know? way. Oh yeah. Just put it on hold and definitely tell the well conflicts over. So they, I said, all right, well, I'm gonna go into mill, I'm gonna go and. I, you know, this is what I've done. I went to selection. I made it, and I'm going to go to Fort Bragg, and I'm going to go serve. I signed up for three years. I had to sign up for three years, and then I'll come back, you know? And they're like, okay. Because you're you thinking know. it's probably going to be over in three years. Yeah, I was like, well, you know, I'm going to do my time and then come yeah. back because, you know, I enjoyed being a game warden, you know? So fast forward three years, and, you know, I've been combat, doing all this stuff for all these years, and then and I come back, and they're like, yeah, we, we filled your job. Because I've, I've made it back to my home county. Okay. And so they'd fill my job, which I didn't expect them to hold it, but it was just one of those. And they're like, yeah, we don't, we don't really know, you know, this, you know, and I said, well, it says it right there, you know, right. we're at war, right? You know, and so it took them a little bit. So I just had to reenlist because I had to do something. But then, I don't know, two weeks after I reenlisted, they're like, hey, we got your job, you know, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, too late now. And it's and go, go, go ever since. Go, go, go. Yeah. Man. So. And then during that time as a game warden, did you link back up with Daniel then, or did you, after September 11th? No, it was after 9/11. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, so you uh, get to get to the unit and. Uh, unit got on my team. Yep. And you have this. <laughs> I had that. Well, we're we're doing a, a train up because we're getting ready to invade Iraq. Yeah. You know, I got done with OTC, uh, which is the training course when you get there, and uh, <clears throat> so I'm putting my kit on and I've got my belt on and I got my axe on it. And I always wore my axe, you know, and and my my team leaders like. He like sees it like the, just the handle sticking out of my sheath, you know, and and this is you know I mean, he's like, is that a Winkler, from the handle, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm like, well, yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, and so I I said, you want to see it? And he goes, yeah, you know. And so I break it out and give it to him. He's just like, oh my gosh, you know. So he's like, man, do you think think he'd make me one, you know? And I'm like, I, I don't know, you know, maybe. So once again, but now I got the internet, you know. <laughs> and do you have a website at this point? I think maybe. I, well, I think I just I think I just looked him up somehow and yeah. called him. Okay. You know? But I didn't have to go to the, the yellow pages this time, or the white pages. And uh, and I'm like, hey, do you remember me? I'm the seal you made the axe for. And he goes, like, yeah, I remember you, you know. And uh, so and you hadn't made another one for another. Mm -hmm. No, that was, I, and that had been years. Ten years. Yeah. Oh yeah. Zero zero one right here. Yeah. And. Then, uh, DW right, right there. Yeah, that was how I did the touch marks at that time. So yeah, he said, yeah, I got, I'm in a different unit now. And these guys <laughs> want an axe, like you want to make them. Well, yeah, I take custom order. That's what I do for a living now. I said, yeah, I can make you one. He said, well, we might need more than one. Yeah, there's about four or five guys that want them. And yeah. the whole team wanted them, of yeah. course, you know. So we're just buying, you know, the guys are buying them from Daniel. Yeah. 
Gets up to what? 16? I think six, a hand-forged 16 that were all very similar to that one because mm-hmm. that was just the, the model that I had. He said, you know, just, they want one like mine. And so they're all a little different. So there's 16 hand-forged ones out there mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, the guys that were on your oh, yeah. your team requested. And, and uh, it kind of from there, from what I remember, there was one of the SEALs from your former unit. They were attached to us in Baghdad. Yeah. So they put a team on our team in our squadron. We were in Baghdad doing missions. You know, this is probably 04. And uh, uh, the Red Squadron guys were like, what are these axes you guys are carrying? And I'm like, well, let me tell you a little story. Back when I was in Red Squadron, I told them the whole story about how I talked to Daniel. And they're like, man, can we contact him? I'm like, yeah. So this. The so seals wretch back out to Daniel. So they they contacted me and uh, said, "Yeah, I can I can I can make you some of those." They said, "Well, we need, need like forty of them." I thought, "I can't make <laughs> forty of them." Now they have budget. Yeah. They were. Yeah. I said, uh, I, "That's that's going to take a little a little research to come up with this." And so uh, initially, my thought was, "Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to." I'm going to get the design together and work with another manufacturer that can do that many. Because as me as and Karen together, you know, a two-person shop, and she was doing the sheaths and the leather work, and I was doing the knives and all. Can't it's not a mass production sort of operation, yeah. and uh, and so uh, I started looking at people and doing research on how could I make this and still keep it a high-performance tool but cut out some of the massive amount of time it takes to hand forge and hand grind and all that. Yeah. And uh, so I learned out, I found out there was water jet cutters that would cut out the blanks out of steel if I'd send them the steel. And uh, and then there was, I talked to other people about doing the blade grinding and all and, and manufacturing. There were a lot of folks that were interested, but what they wouldn't commit to was one, the, the timing because I knew we had to get these things done in a certain amount of time because these guys were going off to use them. And the other thing, which was even more important with that, is, is I developed methods on manufacturing, on, on making high-performance axes and knives through my career. And there were specific ways I wanted it to be handled with the blade grinds and the tapers and the heat treating and steel choices. And what I found out is other people want to do it their way. They're not going to do it your way. And so... Uh, Initially, Karen was all against this. She said, I, you can't go in a direction like this. We've, we've built years building a reputation with custom knives for collectors, and it's going real well. And I said, I, I, can't, I can't abandon this. I mean, these guys, I said, these, they're really out there working with them and use them. I said, and, you know, right now we were making pieces that one, if one out of ten pieces that I made cut something that would shock me because they just went on walls. Right. And it's not that they wouldn't perform, it's just that's the, right. the market area we ended up in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and well, so- I got interviewed by Karen on what these are gonna be used for. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Do you wanna know what chores you're gonna do Well, well what are you gonna be using this for? Yeah, I mean, chores? you know, that's a, that's a pretty direct question. And if you know Karen, that's a direct oh, look yeah. at you and ask right, it, right. you know, and it was just like- You had to scramble a little bit. I'd scramble a little yeah. bit. I said, well, yeah, well, I mean, it's for, you know, if, you, if we go in somewhere and, you know, we can't, like we're up against, <laughs> and we can't get to our weapon, it's to save ourselves, you know, or save our buddies, you know, saving lives. Saving lives. Yeah, and I was like, 
And that she's worked? Like, and it worked. And she's like, okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay we like do that. All right. So that helped in, in this you didn't follow that right up with, but can we make this a little longer? So that, that came a little late. That came a little late. She got a little more acclimated to the community <laughs> by that these time. Things. Yeah. But yeah, so I had, I had some water jet cut, and then I took them from there, hand ground them, and, and milling the tanks and all that. And, and we, uh, we hired a couple part-time people that came in to help us with it. And, and those first groups and stuff that we were doing, you know, Karen was in there running the sandblaster and, and, and sewing the sheaths and the carriers that were made for them because it's all done. And, and it just, it, it, it continued to grow. Yeah. And we did those and then, and then all of a sudden other people learned about it. And, they, we, and what happened with Red when we were just working with them in the in the Navy, uh, we were at a show in California, and I had something I was showing in display, and a guy was asking about it. I was kind of telling him what I could because I can't go into detail, and he said, "Well, I have a friend that's a breacher at, at, at you know in Virginia Beach, and I'll ask him about it because I haven't ever heard about this kind of thing." <laughs> so he went and asked him, and and the guy told him, said, I don't know what they're smoking. I ain't never heard nothing about that either. And uh, and he came back, and he called us out at the show in front of everybody. I said, yeah, I called my seal buddy. You're, you're lying. This is not what's <laughs> happening. I said, no, no, really, it is. And uh, the guy that our friend Bob had called was Dom Rosso. And so uh, he... Uh, he called him back and he, he said, yeah, he said, you need to talk to some other guys. And Red had been keeping it a secret because they thought they had this good thing going. They didn't want other people mm -hmm. to take it over. And then uh, all of a sudden it all changed and Gold Squadron came in and they wanted one to match their persona. They wanted one to look oh, you know, what they do. And then uh, Silver was formed and they had to be different. They wanted a big yeah. knife instead of a hatchet, but you know, we're doing what we could. And, and then other uh, squadrons with Kevin decided they wanted in on it. And so we, we started doing a, a, a specific design for a lot of different, mm -hmm. different squadrons within yeah. that to, to keep everybody happy. And then it, right. it just continued growing from there. Incredible. If you love America, then Black Rifle Coffee Company has you covered for the holidays. Go to blackriflecoffee.com, check out all the gear, merch, apparel, and coffee roasting equipment. Once again, blackriflecoffee.com. I am a member of their exclusive coffee club, and I also get this big bag right here of Silencer Smooth delivered every month. You can go click on your favorite roast and set your schedule for delivery, and then bam, there it is on the front doorstep every single month. It is absolutely awesome. Go to blackriflecoffee.com, veteran-founded, veteran-run. Go check them out, blackriflecoffee.com. Thank you so much to Six Hour for jumping right on board out of the gate to make this podcast possible. Obviously, I am a huge SIG fan, having carried the P226 on every deployment downrange in the SEAL teams. Uh, but SIG was a supporter. They were friends well before uh, I was a New York Times bestselling author, uh, well before I even had an Instagram account or any social media presence whatsoever. So thank you guys all so much. Uh, Ron, Tom, Jason, everybody at SIG who gets up every day and continues to crush it and lead 
the way. SIG is always adapting. They're always at the forefront, whether it is firearms for citizens, whether it's firearms for our military, ammo, suppressors, optics, training, fire control units. They are doing it all, and they are always pushing, pushing that envelope and trying to do it better each and every day through innovation and adaptation they crush so thank you so much for that friendship and support uh it will never be forgotten and how long did it take from uh when those first 16 got to uh to your squadron for the other squadrons to be like what's going on over there quick I mean, yeah. They all, yeah, oh yeah they were all like hey uh because i was the poc basically yeah. for daniel you right know, you know everybody knew it's like hey well he knows the guy and mm-hmm. you know and so they'd come and ask me and so i would yeah well you know we can help you guys develop one for your squadron and so i'd work with daniel and whoever their rep was from their squadron yeah. and then, hey what do you you know they'd send a picture and then you know would give it to daniel daniel would go eh, i don't know you know and then and we'd work on it and then they come up with whatever Right, a little Whatever. bit different. Yeah, a little bit different. Everybody's is different. Yeah. So, oh yeah. man, yeah. and you carried this on every every op, everything I went on, and then uh, and so with the sheaths, we had to kind of you know come up with a sheath that yeah. because it was initially it just mounted on your belt. And yeah. There's no movement or anything, but when you're getting in and out of helicopters and vehicles, yeah. and it jams up into your side. So, I told Daniel, I said, hey, we need to get a swivel, some kind of thing that moves, and so that's the that's the Probably the second sheath because the first okay. one was just goes on your belt. Yeah. Then that was the that was the bigger one. That one looks a little bigger. I think it had two slots in the back on the two back slots of the in the back and just mounted on your belt. belt. Yeah. And so I mean it, it worked, but uh, this is a way better system with the swivel. Look at this. And and once yep. again, that leather, every one of those scratches tells yep. a, a story. Oh, yeah. To include the time going after Zarkawi that uh, yep. that it, it fell off. Well, we had a it was a different. Uh, uh, connector that went through the top there held that swivel on yeah. there and so I got off the bur- helicopter was running as a daylight mission we rarely did daylight missions and it but it was supposedly Zarkow who was going to be in this uh, this building and it was actually 12 suicide bombers in the building and they were like shaved and cleaned up and ready to go you know and uh, so we got the target clear and everything and then when you're, you're leaving a target you, you, everybody wants to know hey everybody got sure your you gear got your make sure you got your gear the first thing everybody checks is your axe you know, you're like, oh, and my axe was gone. And all I had on my belt was the little loop. Yeah. Yeah, that was it, you know, and I'm just like, because they call Budweiser, that's what you call it. You say, hey, everybody got everything, Budweiser. And it's like, I'm, I'm missing my axe. I came over the radio. Yeah. I mean, you know, and everybody's just like. Right. You know, I'm like, hey, it's Charlie Four. I'm missing my axe. You know, and then everybody's just like, oh, no. So everybody's looking, you know, because, yeah. you know, if somebody loses their axe, it's a huge deal. You know, it's like losing a gun, yeah. you know. I mean, it's not a sensitive item, but right. it's a sensitive item to us, right. you know. So a friend of mine, uh, he, he was walking through that wheat field looking. He found it. He holds it up. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, you know. Crazy. So glad <laughs> he found that thing. Crazy. Man, and I, I don't know if we can talk about it or not. If we can't, we'll, we'll edit it out. But uh, uh, you have it on your on your belt when you pull Saddam out of that hole. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> and that one, you're walking, you're walking. You got the intel, and it's like um, brush over it, leaves over it, dirt. Yeah, well, we we had uh, we had some human intel that, that you know showed us exactly where it was at, and uh, and then we just uh, brushed it away and. 
Uh, they had a big styrofoam plug, you know, that they would put in there and then cover it with gotcha. uh, with leaves and dirt and sand. And then they had a pipe for air, you know. We hadn't noticed it when we cleared it. Yeah. And then so just dug it away, pulled it up, and the sand fell in. and. In goes a banger. <laughs> did you white light first or anything, or did you use your Well, our guns, light? you know, you had your guns, you light on your guns, and you look in it, you know, you can tell it's a, you know, you, you can see bricks, you know, where they bricked it up and everything. Okay, so yeah. you know, okay. We know it's, a, it's something. Yeah. You know, and the guy says he's in there. So. Yeah. And so are you looking on nods first, and then you go uh, Well, we, we, once we're white light, we flip the nods up, so you, you know. that. Yeah, so we're white light. light. Oh yeah! And you toss that banger. Toss a banger in, and a nine banger. Nine banger. Oh, oh yeah! In a confined in space. In a confined space. Oh. Yeah, kind of <laughs> and then do you go in, or does he? Come no, in? no. Uh, so we're trying to get a dog to go in the hole, and yeah. the dog's just—he's—he's he's not want no, none of it. Smart dog. You know, he's like, I'm not going in no there. Way. You know, and so finally, uh, and then uh, once he pulls the dogs back, we start hearing somebody talk. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, in, in Arabic or, nice. and then. And the terp starts talking back, and so it's like, okay, somebody's coming, you know, and he's getting closer. You could tell by the sound it's getting closer, closer and then hands come out of the hole, <clears throat> and then a big bushy head of hair, and then we grab him and jerk him out, and it's like, well, that's him. And, you know, you, you know, a big friend of mine who's really the guy, I, mean, I helped him get him out, but he, he really, I thought he broke his back. When he, we pulled him out, it was just like, whoa. <laughs> okay. he, hand, he stands him up, and he's like, holy cow, it's him. You know, and then uh, a big Texan nails him in the mouth, knocks him down. Because he's got a gun, you know, he's armed. And so we had to we had to uh, make sure he didn't, couldn't get to that gun, you know. What was he armed with? Glock 18. Glock 18. Yeah, it's a fully automatic. That's okay. That's fully fine. automatic. President Bush has that now. Nice. So. Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> yep. Man. And then you sensed, uh, like, could you just sense that this guy was... Yeah, well, I mean, see, uh, I mean, not right at that moment, yeah. you know, because, you know, he was pretty beat down. And, you know, I mean, he was, he, he said he was, a, that banger well, he just said he was the president of Iraq and he's ready to negotiate. He said that in English. <laughs> okay. oh, All right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we're like, that well, that's a little, that time's passed, brother. <laughs> and uh, one of the guys told him, he said, well, President Bush sends his regards. That's you know? awesome. Yeah. So, that is pretty cool. Yeah. So you have this hole, though. So now you have essentially like an open door. Um, yeah, well, we don't know what's in there, right. and so a buddy of mine, he's, he's, he's you know, he, he's got his kid on, he's trying to get in it, you know, and I'm, I can see that ain't happening, mm -hmm. you know, so I take my kid off, and I, I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll get in there, you know, so he jumps out, I jump in, and I got, I got my 45, you know, and, and I, I can look down, I got a flashlight, and I can look down there, and I can see that it tees, and okay. so I'm like, hmm. So I, I'm like, hey, give me another pistol, you know. And so a guy hands me down a Glock with a light on it, you know. And uh, so I just kind of, I'm, I'm figuring out how to do this T intersection by myself, you know. And so I kind of pull a Boondock Saints thing. I'm like, all right, you know. <laughs> so I just kind of come around the corner and cleared it. And, yeah. you know, it's just enough room, about a six-foot area for a guy to lay down. He had a little bench he could sit on. And Really? Yeah. How far down was it? Uh... Well, you could stand up and your head would stick out of the hole. Okay. Yeah. Oh, dang. Yeah. So, so it was like a burrow. Yeah. I mean, it was nice. I mean, it was, uh, you know, you go down and it's it's, uh, it's brick and, and then it, the ceiling's got uh, beams and it's parged okay. cement on top of it. I okay. mean, it was dry and real and it had a fan in there, a little white fan. I don't know okay. if you saw the, the video. Oh. So it was on Fox News oh, or whatever. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So they probably have it. And, but I just yeah. talked the whole time and talked about, hey, and, and my you're boots. Videoing? You're I'm videoing. Back, so you go, so you clear it. 
clear it. Back I said, hey, video. give me a camera. You know, so I got the camera and I video the thing and I'm talking, telling what it all looks like. And then I lay down and, and I said, I can lay down in here, you know, and my boots are, you know, sticking there and you can see them in the video. No way. And uh, so a friend of mine, uh, Will in Virginia Beach, they're watching this whole thing, you know. They're like, hey, they got they got him last night or whatever, and they're watching uh -huh. this video. And and they're like, they said the fourth ID or somebody captured him, you know. And, and, and so, you know, they, you know, guys are like, really? I mean, not that that couldn't happen. I mean, they're great guys. I mean, they were really good guys, third ID. And... Uh, and so Willie and them's watching this though, and they're like, "What? How did they? What did they just come across him? Or yeah. you know what happened?" Yeah. And then they're watching the video, and Willie's like, oh, "Look at those boots. That's not freaking Fourth ID boots. Uh, you know what I'm saying? What are you wearing? Like uh, Solomon's or something? Not, or? Yeah, it was like Solomon's. Uh, uh, nice. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. just not issue boots. Right. Right. You know? Right. So he knew. He's like, goes, those little things. It's those details. Something's yeah. not right here. Uh huh. Man, so you clearly you take that video down yep. there, and but someone was bringing him like to bring him food every day. Type of yeah, thing. Oh, yeah, he'd get out. I mean, no, he was never in there for any extended period. Oh, they had just... crows all up and down the road that would notify him, and then the guys. He had two cooks there, two guys, two of his guards were there that we captured. Okay. In the hut, and he would be in that hut all day. Okay. And then if if we came down that road, then he he jump they jump in there, cover him up. Got it. You know, those okay. guys are smoking and joking. You know, hey, no problem. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here yeah. You know, uh -huh. <laughs> so that's how it happened. So they took him and threw him on a little bird, flew him back to Tikrit mm -hmm. into the palace, and then we got back up there. And then myself and then another guy and the commander flew him to Baghdad. And that's when you could feel he was just an evil guy. I mean, just you just he he had this presence about him that was uh, very unnerving. I don't know. It just so he would like reach up, I had him by the beard, and he'd pat, pat your hand every now and then. Another guy had him by the back of the head, and so we just swunk his head back and forth, you know, would make him quit touching us, yeah. you know, because he wanted to get us cuffed in the front, you know, and he'd reach up and touch your hand, you know. How come? What was he doing? I don't know. I, because we, you know, we had him. We had yeah. a good grip on him, you know, because he wasn't jumping out of that helicopter. He wasn't hurting nobody in the helicopter. We had him. and yeah. But he would. He'd just reach up and touch, your, touch my hand, and then so we'd go walk, 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 to make him quit. Wow. He wasn't touching me. And you, know, you just feel this just, just feel evil it. presence. Yeah, he was just a not a good dude. Dang. Yeah. That's cool. It's interesting. Did the other uh, guy you were with, did he have that same sense when you talked about it later? Yeah, everybody. And, and nobody really wanted to hang out with him. I mean, you know, because, you know, people got pictures with him and stuff. And then I rode in the truck with him over to the, the helicopter. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't a he, – he had a an air of uh, – like once he knew we weren't, he wasn't being killed. Then he he was back in charge, and he had that air about him, you okay. know. And then he just he was just had a presence. I don't know what it was. Wow, presence of evil. Jeez. You know, so, man. Anyway, eventually you get my to to Baghdad to that uh, prison yep. thing that they had you did. there, and and that's when we were on the next neighbors on the river there when I was doing my time with the oh, yeah. with the uh, with the the agency there and we had the the TF Knight SAS guys we had our indige we had the, my, the CIA group and then you guys were right there and all the helos and oh, yeah. and all that stuff and he was just down the down the road and, oh, yeah. and you were working out of there still carrying this oh yeah man yeah this thing has <laughs> a lot of time downrange mm -hmm. it does man. it's got God. over a thousand missions on it so 
That is insane. Yeah. Jeez. And you just keep going back. You're just on the train for, for all these years. You just keep going. So every back. back then we only had three squadrons. And so we would, we would, it was a back in combat every yeah. six months. So you were doing six months and then you're doing a three month tour over there. So it was, it was pretty busy at that time. Dang. That's yeah. wild. And then at some point you start carrying blades by yeah. uh, by Daniel. Well, so my team leader and I sat down and and, uh, and we go, hey, we need a like a dagger to go with this uh, axe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. People watching, they're... look at that. That is a companion piece right there. It is, yeah. I mean, that is beautiful. So we sat down and uh, him and I we drew it out on a table in the squadron lounge and then asked Daniel if he could possibly build it and that's the number one right there of the daggers that. Uh, I don't know if you'd done a dagger before you did these. Uh, no, that was that was first one that we that we did. I'd done them as a custom maker yeah. before, but it's the first one we did as a manufactured yeah. piece. And so so that that one was even though I, I handmade that one, we used it as the model to set up the production for mm -hmm. that. And so uh, you know we uh, then we went through and we did however many y'all needed. I don't even remember. It's it quite a few. And yeah. <laughs> and then we changed it up a little bit because we had a lot of other guys that you had connections with that said, yeah, I need one of those daggers. And and we took all this stuff real seriously and any design that we made for a specific squadron or something, that they're the only ones that could have it. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but the, a lot of them wanted the daggers and it, it's a pretty straightforward, nondescript style. I mean, there's, there's nothing really outstanding about that, but we changed the handle a little bit and we st still did those for, for your guys, mm -hmm. but then we offered it for sale to other units uh, as, as a, we call it our tactical dagger. It's on the website now. Mm -hmm. And it's been there since the beginning, mm -hmm. since we did this. And just because there are some, some professionals that need a double-edged knife. You know, everybody Hunters and stuff that that don't have a whole lot of use for them. Yeah. But as far as when you need that kind of tool or weapon, then that's what you need. Mm -hmm. Man, this is zero zero one right there. Yeah. Zero zero one zero zero one. Man, and what would you carry this on your on your kit? I just carried it in. I, I had a right. well the sheath for it. You can see, and then I'd put it. Uh, I'd molly it or to use five fifty and tie it on my uh, plate carrier, and I carried it like right there. Yeah. Nice. Man, that's amazing. So much history in these things. Man, it's just keep going down range, and then eventually, though, you decide to, to get on out. Well, I got shot up in Afghanistan, you know, eventually, uh, 2011, and uh, ended up retiring 2013. So they made you after that? Well, I mean, I was wow. pretty, you know, messed up with, you know, at the time. I, I'm a little bit, I'm better now, you know, I'm still rehabbing or whatever, but it was just, it was 20 years. I was right at 20 years, and so I went ahead and retired. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, and that one, you I mean you got shot up pretty good. Well, I just took a PK round through the chest, and yeah, that's, yeah. that's just that. Yeah, you know, it shattered a bunch of bones and went out my scapula and messed up a bunch of nerves in my left arm, and so yeah, that's just uh, one of those things. You know, when you're chasing people through the palm groves and stuff, eventually you're gonna catch one. You and know. what year was that? 2011. So 2011, mm -hmm. and uh, what month was it? It's March. In March of 2011. Mm -hmm. And who were you after that night? Uh, well, we had been chasing. Uh, we were in uh, Kunduz, Afghanistan, and the Uzbeks were coming across the border, and they uh, uh, were just 
was coming in platoon strength, like 18 strong, you know, heavy weapons, RPGs, and this, that, and the other thing. So our job was to watch them come in, and then they'd bed down at a house, and then we'd hit that house. Yeah. And so uh, we were after a group of those guys, and uh, there were two security guys they had set out. And then so my team came in on Little Birds, took out one of them, and the other one ran. And so we were chasing the second one when uh, he, he had hidden somewhere in the uh, – we were being guided from above, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hey, this, he's here, and he wasn't. He was like 20 yards from us. And so as we moved up on that other one, he pops out and sh about 20 yards from me and took a round from him. So How many rounds did he fire, do you remember? Like Hundreds. Because, I mean, once, you know, I, I dove in a hole of water and got underwater, and then he was just shooting at the water, and then he started shooting at my buddy that was, you know, around the corner. They started, they kind of got in a little gun battle. And then that guy had that PK and he just chewed up the whole side of the house. And then, you know, and he reloaded, stuck it around again and was just running him, you know. I mean, the guy couldn't do anything. He's taking PK rounds, you know, all over. And so he has to dive behind the house. And so, yeah, so that was a. And you're shot at this point. Yeah, so I finally come up out of the water when I realize he's not shooting at me. And I just kind of laid my gun up on the berm and I, my nods are gone. You know, I don't have any night vision, and, and uh, I'm just kind of, I, I just start slow firing at the muzzle blast because I knew we didn't have a gun with us, a machine gun, and so I knew it was him. And I, and so he figures out, I think, that he's taking some sort of fire from somewhere that's hitting and close to him. So he comes running, like, right back at me. You know, so I'm just like, oh, no, you know, because I'm in this water up to here, and I got my gun. I can't raise it because it's the slings through here. I can't pick my gun up. And so, you know, he's just running right at me. He's from me to Daniel. And I'm shooting at his feet because you know, I can't pick the gun up. He tumbles right here and drops that PK right beside me. And then he hobbles on out the, the gate, and then the rangers get him outside the gate. Oh, so you hit him at some, somewhere? I, well, I, I, I'm not – I asked about it. I said, hey, was he shot in the foot? Because he fell, like, right next to me, you know, when I was – Cacking rounds at his feet, you know, because I couldn't raise it up. You Your know. arm's just jacked. This arm's jacked. I can't do anything, and it's heavy. It's a H and K four sixteen. They're heavy, yeah, yeah. laser and all that light on it, and the slings keeping me from raising it. Dude. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, he 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 dropped it right there, and 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 I did. I asked. Uh, I think Carilla, uh, Colonel Carilla, was in charge of us, and he put my Purple Heart on uh, like the field hospital or whatever, and, and I said, was that guy did a did a they hit him in the foot or anything, and he said I did. He said, "Yeah, there was. A, he was wounded," and I don't know. So, mm. but anyway, so, I mean, it sounds like it. Well, he dropped. Life. He fell and dropped yeah. the gun right there. So anyway, so I don't know for a fact. So I'm just. And where's that weapon today? Do you guys keep it? Uh, I think they demilled it. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's part of season. Part of uh, maybe it's somewhere. You know, got down, it down at Fort Bragg. Man. Yeah. Yep. Dude. And then how long? So. Are you thinking you're going to come back? Like, hey, I'm going to rehab this thing and yeah. come back? Yeah, like, I mean, I, that night, I mean, my one of my, I, finally I get up out of that water and I, they thought I was dead because they thought body parts were flying off when oh, my guy was like, holy smokes. And he sees, you know, he's just like, and he thought my, when my nods flew off, I thought it was my head or yeah. part of my head. Right. Yeah, and he's just like, and then I disappear in that water and he's like, oh, he's dead, you know. And so I finally, I get up and I go and I walk back to the wall where I thought he was dead because, you know, I'm like, he's probably got to be laying here somewhere. And he had went around the next corner. And so I just put my red laser on and I walk back there and I'm like, hey, you know, and I come back, you know, and they're just like, dude, you're alive. <laughs> no way. You know, my new guy, he gets my pills out of my my pocket I kept up here for the antibiotics and all yeah. that. He's all fumbling with them and he yeah. drops them in the mud. And, <laughs>
So I'm just oh. like, I'm like. <laughs> and those are like antibiotics, like oh, yeah. infection and all that infection. stuff. It was like five or six oh, yeah. that you're yep. supposed to yep. take right away. Yeah, and I'm like, give me your pills. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he pulls his out. I take his and I get my fentanyl pop. And so I'm, I'm, I'm walking. And so I walk up to the troop sergeant major and I'm like, hey, hey, Brad, where, where do you need me to go? And he's like, he sees who it's me. He yeah. goes, get out of here, you know. So I ended up walking to the helicopter and got on a helicopter and because I, you know, I mean, I knew I was, you know, I didn't know how ser yeah. serious it was, you know, and, but it was pretty, I had a really big hole in my back. And so, yeah. So, so it exited, expanded, tore a bunch of, mm -hmm. yeah, and it go right over your body armor or through? Right over, right, right over, over the top. Right over the top and just shattered my clavicle into a million pieces and then right, I mean, just right at my lung and caused it to collapse a little bit and then went out my back and <clears throat> yeah, just, uh. You know, but I couldn't use my arm, but I wasn't in a ton of pain because I was on. I had yeah. a fentanyl pop. Yeah. You know, and, but there's no medic with you. Yeah. Well, finally a, a medic shows up. Oh, finally. It, it was a ranger medic. Yeah. He shows After up. After you're on the helo. No, like, no. He come to okay. the house and he, he, you know, he's like, okay. Well, I'm standing around with everybody else. He goes, Where's the guy? Where's Where's the, the guy? That got shot. I'm like, that was me. <laughs> and he's like, Okay. Right. So he comes up. And he's like looking at the wound and he, and and he's got. I can tell he's got a needle. He's wanting to, you know. And I'm like. Yeah, he goes, how's your breathing? And I'm like, it's it's fine, you know? And he'll come back a few minutes later, how's your breathing? I'm like, I'm good, man, I, I'm good. You don't need to needle D me. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's what he was wanting to do. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> but I didn't need it, so I walked out to the helo, got on the helo. and they stuff it or anything? Or what did they... Yeah, they, I mean, the, the, the entrance room wasn't that big. They stuffed the back, the, the back. packed, you know? Okay. So it missed, nerve, I mean, it, arteries, everything. I mean, it could have nicked one of them. And I'd have been dead because I was in that water, and you can't stop a bleed there. Wow. I mean, now they have like pellets they'll shoot in a place like that in the pelvis, oh. but this area right here is is if you get shot there, it's normally you die. You know? So somebody was watching out for me that night. Wow. So, oh yeah. That's amazing. I mean, so you do that, you get on the helo, yeah. and then you get back, and then you have lights and all the rest of it. Then do they see how bad it is? Kinda. They didn't really. I mean, because I, I, my lung was collapsed a little bit, because they just took me to a lo local uh, as a German like hospital, you know, a little med station, and so I was in there for a day, uh, waiting to, so I could get on C one thirty and fly to Bagram, and I still had blood and dirt on me and this that and the other thing, you know, and and uh, and they don't really understand, I don't think, that this is all in a million pieces, and so those bones are super sharp. Every time you move it, are you like, hey, give me another pop? Yeah, I'm just like, well, I mean, you know, this ain't this ain't good, you know. I know, yeah. and and but you know, they're not really because that needed to be cut open and cleaned out because yeah. one nick of one of those bones yeah. of the artery and you're dead. Yeah. And uh, so really, they just packed some black goop in the hole in the back in the front. I don't know what it was, some German medicine, you know. Oh. And uh, <laughs> and I, so I was there for a day or two. And then uh, ended up flying to Bagram, and I, you know, I walk off the bus, and I'm, I, you know, I get, I'm standing there, and, and they run on the bus, and where's the gunshot wound guy, you know, and, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm like, is there another one? You know? <laughs> oh my you know? gosh! Yeah, so I'm like, well, I, I, I've been shot, you know, and they're like, oh, you, what are you doing, you know, and get me on this, wheel me in here, and so I'm sitting there with my X-rays, the X-ray, and this doc walks by, Air Force doc, I believe. And he goes, have you been seen? And I'm like, eh, kind of, you know? <laughs> and he, he pulls out my x-ray and he's like, 
Holy smokes. So he, he's like, get him into surgery now. Okay. So he, now someone. He busted it open, cleaned it all. It probably saved my life. I mean, yeah. I probably did. So, I mean, because I don't know how long, much longer I could have hung out and not want him cut on artery. Dang. Yeah, all them bones. Oh, my God. So he cleans it out, and then cleans does he get out. you on a flight to Germany? Landstuhl, yeah. man in Landstuhl. Horrible flight from uh, Bagram to Landstuhl, eight, like a C-130. C-130? Yes, and we're stacked like six deep. What? Like stretchers. I mean, there's dudes on top. I'm the bottom bunk under here, and the dude on top of me, your face is like right here. No and there's six deep, and it's just row after row of people just blown up, legs gone, arms gone, gunshots, and I mean, just packed this whole plane the the nurses have barely even got room to walk oh yeah on a c-130 a C-130. <laughs> oh yeah. not a c-17 no why would why no would i don't like... know i don't know that's just what they had and then, you know it took forever to get to germany finally got there horrible flight because i'm not even supposed to lay on my back i got this massive hole oh. <laughs> so i'm just like trying to turn up the, you know on my side you know under in this you an escort from your command or anything you just buy your no, I didn't get an escort until I got to Germany, and, and then the command flew somebody over yeah. and, and picked me up in Germany. Yeah. So it was a that's crazy. Yeah, and then I, I get to Germany. I'm on the bus, and I'm the only person on the bus that's not missing a limb. So it's wow. mostly Marines from Hellman, mm. and I'm the only gunshot wound, and they're all missing legs, arms. I mean, a bus full. Mm -hmm. It's full, coming from the plane. To, yeah. Yeah. So. And how long are you in Germany before you fly to A couple days in Germany, and then uh, came to Walter Reed and was in there for a couple weeks. A couple weeks. Mm -hmm. What are they doing at Walter Reed? Well, they, they put a titanium bar in and, you so know. More surgeries. More surgeries. Uh, end up, uh, you know, and I, I said, what are you doing about the hole in the back? <laughs> what <laughs> did like, that look like? They're like, well, we sewed it up. <laughs> so that's, that's what they did. Sewed up the hole. And then, uh, so just put a bar in here and then. So my buddy, uh, uh, Mike Knoll, mm -hmm. he's, got his, he's got a plane, and A.J. Davis, who I were in green team with, uh, they came and got me at Walter Reed and flew me home, flew me back to Fort Bragg. No so, way. Yeah. And then what are you doing, going to rehab? Is there a... Yeah, it's rehab. I mean, still rehabbing to this day, yeah. you know, but yeah, from there I just rehab, rehab for, you know, a year and a half, and, and, and I really can't get to where I can, you know, so I went ahead and retired after that. Okay. So, yeah. But you didn't really retire. No, <laughs> no. I, You've been busy. I have been, yeah, I've been busy. Yeah, so. you have not taken a break. Mm. I mean, you get to, you go to uh, another government agency and start working there. Yeah, we develop an ax for that group. <laughs> right there, yeah, this deal, one right yeah. here. Yeah. This is cool. I mean, I love that everywhere you, uh, you go, you know, new axes and new uh, you know, little refinements. Uh, you can see that the, the back on this one's a little longer. Yep, it works better uh, for certain things. Yeah, for yep. certain chores. Mm -hmm. Every time Kevin changed particular jobs, I, I got to develop new products. <laughs> yep, and this right here, so you can get this two ways. One with the uh, with wood right here, and then right here with cord the, wrap. Yeah, Having the cord wrap. wrap on the upper end is really good, especially for heavy uses, you know, breaching or, or even woodcraft, which spike axes aren't great for that. But, you know, if you got it, you need to do it. Because if uh, on, a, on a full tang axe, you know, you get chopped through. If you're splitting something, yeah. it, it can impact the handle. You can break your handle off. But with that one, with the cord wrap on it, I found out if you do that and you damage your cord, you just take it off and wrap another cord. You can get them at Walmart. So, yeah. so it, it, I, I like, personally, I, yeah. I like the half wrap handles. They don't look as nice, but, but they do offer some function. Mm -hmm. And then you do that for another 
10 years? No, no, no. Four no. years. Four years? Yeah, no. three or four years. And ended up, because uh, we were basically doing the same mission we were doing right. when I was in the Army, you know, yeah. and so, uh, but with a whole lot less support and uh, gear and everything else. And so, I don't know, just kind of got to the point where uh, uh, one of the guys that owns Cryptic, is uh, uh, Josh Cleghorn, he was a little bird pilot in Iraq. He flies, then we do vehicle interdictions and we became friends, talking about hunting and everything. And so he's like, well, you should come develop gear for us, you know, work for us, you know. And so I ended up uh, stopping working up there and I developed gear for Cryptic and yeah. you know, I worked for SIG now some and uh, yeah. you know, developed stuff with Daniel still and yeah. uh, do some contract work with I mean, you couldn't, you can't, you can't let it go. Uh. Uh, well, I was called on that though. Okay. I mean, you know, I mean, the whole, yeah. you know, we were getting people out of Afghanistan back in October. Yeah. Uh, Sentinel group, yeah. and uh, they're a really good group that goes and rescues children, and you know, and so friends of mine from my army outfit uh, were doing it, and they asked if I could come give them a hand with it, and I went and did that. And yeah. So. And is that like a uh, uh, a non-profit type it of is. A, a it's thing? a non-profit yeah okay so. sentinel group they're still out there doing that oh, yeah That's, they, they do it like i mean uh, we'll, we'll probably go do some i'll go with them somewhere this year and probably do something with them oh man yeah. and how is going back to to Africa? was that the first time you've been back or no no you've been yeah. you've been back with your well i've been back with yeah the group yeah but um what was it like there seeing that place uh well i mean we we were on the edges of it you know because you know they're in charge now over there once we gave up the place. So, yeah, we were pulling Americans out, blue passport carrying Americans that were there. And I was in contact with you while we were doing yeah. it. Yeah. And I thanks was like, for, oh my goodness. Thanks for putting that out. You know, yeah, hey, these people are, yeah. So, of course, man. Yeah. I was like, what are you doing? What? But, uh, yeah, you're over there. I'm getting texts from you, like, oh man, and uh, doing what I can, you know, on this side of the mm -hmm. side of the house. And, um, Man, but that's uh, so. What was that like over there, grabbing those guys and and well, getting them out? And it was. I'll tell you, 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 when you get a guy that's that looks Afghani, but he talks like he's from South Carolina. Yeah, he's like, man, I'm glad y'all are here. <laughs> we thought nobody was coming. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, so that was pretty cool because you, yeah. you know you you really go in. Okay, we're we're making a difference. We're doing something, helping people. Yeah. And I mean, you know, these people are just left behind. And I mean, they were there visiting their grandmother or whatever, you know, right. over there and just got left and they couldn't Jeez. get out. So we actually had to work with, and I hate to say this, but with the Taliban uh, because they'll take money and they'll take whatever, you know. They were easier to work with than our own government. So, I mean. Not shocking. No, okay. Well, yeah. but anyway, they did. They, uh, uh, they would work with us. Wow. Yeah. So. That's, you know, pretty, was it pretty dicey? Uh, well, when we were out, you know, we were out doing some, some reconnaissance stuff, you know, and had to figure out places to, you know, for people to come over, and, and yeah, it was it was sketchy because yeah. they were right there. You could see them, you know, so. Jeez. Yeah. And so yeah, that's, that's about a, that's a year ago. We're almost about a year anniversary of that. Uh, October. That event. Yeah. Doing? Okay, you were in there in October. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dang. Yep. Okay. Yep. Still so. doing it. Wow. Okay. So we're gone. And you're oh, gone. I forgot that was the exact timing. <laughs> yeah. And then you come back, and then mm -hmm. Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, some folks needed to be got out of Ukraine, out of Kharkiv, and so we went in and pulled those guys out. Uh, and this is with a different group now, but mm -hmm. still a uh, still a nonprofit type of a. No, it's this, a, is, this it, is a security group now. This is a security group. Yeah. With a, a name that. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talos, and I got to talk to Amazon about that because usually they don't use names of, because uh, yep. it's not in the book terminal list, but it is in the uh, the Amazon Prime series. So I'm going to do a little research mm -hmm. on how, because uh, if I was putting in the book, I would have done research, obviously, and been like, okay, I probably should change this. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's one of those things that uh, you just assume that Amazon is going to do uh -huh. because they check all the names. They check uh, every name uh, more thoroughly than Simon & Schuster, my publisher, did. So we had to change a, a couple names from, from the book because they actually existed. I didn't even know, but you have to do these you know, checks with the lawyers and everything to make sure you're not yeah. you know, putting somebody in a bad light who's actually a real person or whatever. Um, but I figured they'd do that do that for this but, the, but I remember when I read it in the script and I was like Talos I'm sh shocked that so no one has this that. yeah it's a yeah, great yeah. name it is well it's a cup yeah it's a, it's well, a great Talos, thank you guys uh, I <laughs> hopefully uh, yeah hopefully it helps it doesn't hurt uh, being in the uh, in the Amazon series but you go over with them because mm -hmm. you, you know the guys that run that yep okay yep so we go over and, and Sentinel came came over as well you know they came over and helped too and so we were getting people out of uh, of the eastern part Get them into the western part, wow. you know. Get them set up, and you know uh, where it's a little safer. And so, yeah. And it's dicey. It's super dicey. Yep. There's cruise missiles coming in, and mortars, and yeah, every night, you know. So it's a, it's a, it's a war zone. It's a Stalingrad looking place. Yeah. So. And at first, you're not armed. No, we weren't armed at all. I mean, to, I mean, we get in there. You know, we took a train, 24 hour train ride, to get from, uh, you know, Lviv. Uh, wow. All the way to Kharkiv, okay. so it was like going across Texas on a train going like 25 miles an hour. Yeah, so they give you this chunk of, you know, we didn't know to well, uh, what. Okay, they got food or right. they, you know it, they don't. And so, but the conductor, uh, he brought us a chunk of like this pork cured pork fat and a big piece of bread. Wow. So that's what we had, and yeah, you know, for the whole ride. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then you get, you start, you text me while you're over there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm like, what you're doing? What? <laughs> like, yeah. oh geez. And, um, and, uh, and you end up getting a Fox news journalist who is, uh, really wounded. Our guys. Horribly. So, you know, we have, uh, our crew, I had, I, I was pulling out and then our crew was still in Lviv. And so we get contacted by some people and they're like, Hey, uh, are, are you, with this guy and I'm like, well, no, I'm not, but my guys are right there. So our guys were going to meet, uh, to get him, you know, on the, how we got him out of there, you know, or how they got him out of there. So it was, a uh, it, it was a little sketchy deal cause they took a mortar. I mean, their vehicle took a mortar, you know, and killed his whole crew. And then he was really, really injured badly. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember seeing those texts and okay, just make, can you make sure that they know how bad this is and I was like absolutely and I'm yep. texting people that I know over there and and uh just say hey, just want you guys to know that just you know and they were yeah yeah you know, they were dealing they were dealing with it I think I mean I think they you know ended up getting him out of there and yep. and uh yeah. but once geez. he once he crossed that Polish border he was good to go but yeah. it was it was hit and miss I mean because you know they you know they're they're out I mean really they're looking for Americans over there yeah. you know so oh, the Russians are yeah, yeah. Man, how long did you spend over there? A month. A month. Yeah, three weeks. And then I, I went back and did a PSD uh, again. So I've, I've got about a month over there. Dang. Yeah. Man. Man. And uh, what, did, what did you bring since you couldn't bring a, a rifle? What did you, uh, what did you have? What kind of kits did you fly in with? Well, actually, uh, you can't, there's no weapons, you know. Yeah. So I did take, uh, I, I'm 
uh, one of Daniel's knives and you know to, to carry yeah. and uh, carried that the whole time I was there. And then once we uh, got there, the the guys gave us AK-47s and uh, uh, Makarov pistols, and so we we were armed once we were there. And, we, and then we ended up teaching them how to shoot a javelin, an in-law okay. rocket. You okay. know, yeah. So because we weren't there to do that. Yeah. But they were like, hey, uh, hey, do you know how to do? Do you know how to shoot these things? And I was like, well, yeah, <laughs> actually, I do. So anyway, that worked out good too. Man. Yep. Dang. I'm, I'm afraid to ask what's, uh, what you're doing next month. Like, where, where, like, where I can expect to get a text Ugh. from. Well, I'll be up at SIG teaching. Good. So. All right. Yeah. Text me from there with you and Kyle. Yep. Uh, yep. Teaching at, uh, at SIG. Academy. Yeah. yeah. I love that. That'll be, that'll be a, good, a good one. Okay. Oh, man. Wow. That's amazing. Gosh. Keeping busy. Mm -hmm. Keeping busy. And then, uh, and then we have uh, SIG Blade being made that you guys are designing together, which is pretty cool because we get, got to do the SIG Hunter games last year yep. together. And, uh, you know, you'd never know that you were shot like that. Uh, just by watching you move through the mountains, because <laughs> I mean, yeah, mountain goat right here, uh, and uh, that was awesome. We got had a great team out there. Bullet mm -hmm. Valentina uh, had a uh, uh, an elk guide from uh, from Oregon, yep. and so that was our team, and ended up doing pretty well, pretty mm -hmm. well. Second, a pretty good job, second place. You know, not mm -hmm. bad, not bad. And uh, but you never know that there was anything wrong with that shoulder. Yeah, well. It's just it's just one of those you know it's it's not a visible thing it's just yeah. nerve damage you know so you just it's my new hundred percent so that's all you got to say you know it's like new hundred percent I like it yeah I like it then you got to go to Virginia Beach also and do that I thing did that uh, Matto told me I need to do mm -hmm. Alex Oliver's uh, Virginia High Performance yeah. I recommend it to any of the seals or whoever I mean for it's wounded or uh, it's just such a great uh, rehab and and you get to really you know, uh, re-blue, I think, is, is the best word for it, right. you know, because guys, you know, they get kind of where they, they're so busy, they don't take care of themselves and their, their diet and they're eating and working out. And I mean, you know, just, and they just really hold you to it up there. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, you definitely come out of there a better, a better person, and not yeah. just in physically, but mentally. Yeah. Because you know? they you do a lot of brain games and uh, mm -hmm. mental, you know, how to, how to handle situations, you know, to know that you're whatever, like if you're having some issues, you know, from the war. Honestly, some guys do, and so it's a, it's a good it's a good break for to go. Yeah, yeah. Matto, he, he uh, uh, was my command master chief at, at SEAL Team Two, and that's the first time that I I, uh, I heard your name was from from him back then. Yep. And he spoke so highly of you, and I was like, oh man. And then I got to meet you through Daniel uh, at Shot Show, and then we got to really hang out together at uh, at Sig Hunter Games, yep. which is awesome. And Man, just so much respect for, geez, for everything you've you've done for this for this country, and I mean, back, keep going back, keep going back for more. Yeah, man, incredible, incredible. But we're at that, and then we start talking to Tom Taylor, and he asks you to design a knife for Sig Legion with Daniel, yep. and that's coming out here soon. Should be coming out in the fall, right? Uh, that that's what our plan is. We're a little backlogged right now, kind of based on the popularity of some new book series that's coming out. But uh, Man, I'm so sorry about that. So, but uh, yeah, but yeah. So uh, it's it's coming up soon. We're we're going we're going for sure get it in and try to get it so it's pre Christmas availability and yeah. and uh, you know every, everything's ready to go pretty much. We just got to schedule the time and 
make sure everybody's happy with the finishes and materials. And so far, it, it's looking good. Mm -hmm. Man, yeah, backlog. Because so this is a, the uh, mid-size or the compact. And there's a full size, but it doesn't have, this one doesn't have what makes the one in the show yeah. so difficult to make, which is this that front spike fine. here yeah. for, uh, for chores. And uh, yeah, you know, when I, when I put this, uh, uh, this book together and I was thinking about, you know, what I grew up reading and what I grew up watching and of course the uh, First Blood, Rambo First Blood Part Two, mm -hmm. and of course having an iconic uh, blade attached to that uh, that series that was important to me growing up. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I thought, what, what's a kind of a modern take on that that brings that to the next level for the 21st century? That uh, is still a weapon that tells, helps develop the character, and that he is a student of warfare. He will always be a student of warfare. Um, so it has this link to the past, um, but use in the present. And uh, now, without you watching Last of the Mohicans. And going to Daniel back in 1992 and doing what you what you did and carrying this all those times downrange, uh, you know, wouldn't have gone to your former commands, plural. And uh, and this might not be in the book. It might not be on every billboard in Los Angeles with Chris Pratt holding it like this. <laughs> and these guys might not be getting all these orders uh, that are backlogging everything here. Um, but uh, this is obviously an important thing to me. I've been a, a knife person my whole life and. Uh, and a hatchet person I had Rogers Rangers rules in my in my room, yep. and and there's a couple things where he talks about hatchets in there, mm -hmm. and uh, I just love that. I love reading about history of warfare, and then uh, in the '80s, of course, re reading everything I could find on terrorism and insurgencies and counterinsurgencies and that sort of thing. But always a student, no matter what I'm no matter what I'm doing, whether it was in the SEAL teams or as a writer today. But uh, for my uh, for my retirement ceremony, I gave my kids four things, and one was a Bible with their name on it. Uh, the other was an antique brass compass, and I gave them those things, and I said, these are here to, uh, to guide you. And then I gave them a leather-bound copy of the Constitution and said, and here are your natural rights. And then I gave them this, and I said, here's the means to defend it. And then uh, not that long afterward, I had those. So I had, now, so now I had multiple because each of the three kids got one and you were kind enough to send one as, uh, to, to me for my retirement ceremony. And so I had, so now I had four and uh, I was sitting there, I'm like, I need a logo. Uh, and now it's become, you know, something that's recognizable, especially now with Amazon. Uh, and now that's, that's backlog and everything. Yeah. But without this crew right here, uh, that wouldn't have happened. So and it is an important part of the character uh, to develop. You know, it's, it tells a story. Just like uh, if I see somebody walk in here and they've got like leather belt, leather holster, Cochrane Lock 1911. You know, that, that tells me something about them. And I see somebody come in and they got a Kydex something or other and a striker fire pistol or whatever. Maybe they're a different, little younger. Maybe it tells them a story. Uh, so I like to use tools and weapons to tell stories, almost using them as characters. And uh, this is an important piece of that. So, uh, so thank you both. For making it possible. Thank you. It's Thank a, you. it's it's an honor to work with you both on you and Kevin on your your previous professional levels, and then now moving forward with with uh, what you're into now and all. It's just it's just been an honor to be part of it, and I get the opportunity to work with Kevin on a regular basis. So it's uh, you know I've I've been very blessed to be associated with the best in the in the business. Well. I feel I feel the same way, and we feel yeah. the same way oh, yeah. uh, as well. So thank you for everything you've done for mm -hmm. the the community. People will never know, you know, exactly how much you've done, and people will never know exactly how much you've done. Um, but uh, thank you both. Mm. Yes, well, thank, thank you. you. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, let's go build some blades. All let's right. do it. Awesome.
Take on the holiday season with the help of Navy Federal Credit Union. When you use the Navy Federal Cash Rewards Card, you can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases. You can redeem your rewards as soon as you earn them. And using the Navy Federal mobile app makes redeeming easier than ever. Enjoy the rewards of cash back without any annual fee, balance transfer, or foreign transaction fees. There are no limitations on rewards, and they never expire while your account is open. Learn how you can get cheer to last all year with the cash rewards card at NavyFederal.org. Our members are the mission. Insured by NCUA, rates are variable and range between 12.65% and 18% APR based on credit worthiness. ATM fees for cash advances are up to $1 at non-Navy Federal ATMs. Message and data rates may apply. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Daniel Winkler and Winkler Knives, go to winklerknives.com and follow them on Instagram at Winkler Knives. Kevin Holland has neither a website nor an Instagram, so you can search around on the internet for a little more about him. My next novel, Only the Dead, hits shelves spring of 2023. You can go to my Instagram or my website for more information and to pre-order. You can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels, officialjackcar.com. That is the website. You can sign up for the newsletter there and click on shop for the merch. And until the next time, take care out there. Stay safe. Be strong. Keep fighting. My collaboration with KC Cattle Company is out now, Kansas City Cattle Company, veteran-owned and operated. There are two exclusive Jack Car bundles. One is for the whole family, and that includes their award-winning Wagyu uncured beef hot dogs. And a second bundle option, which is my favorite, includes something special. A massive Wagyu tomahawk steak and a cross tomahawks branding iron. So you'll be able to add the cross tomahawks logo to all of your steaks. It's awesome. And you can go to officialjackcar.com, click on shop to check that out. But hurry, because they are going fast.